episode 36 of the McSauce Comic Book Podcast. My name is Paul McGinty. With me are the well-dressed Ian Sharpley. Hello. And Matt Flint Marco Casal. Hello. Wearing his green striped shirt tonight, uh, very reminiscent of Sandman. I should have said, hello, hello, what have we here? <laughs> Don't play up to that stereotype. It is December 9th. And over the past week, a lot of comic book news came out. Um, comic book media news, rather, not so much actual comic book news. And that's what we're going to cover tonight. We're going to talk Spider-Man trailer, Wonder Woman casting, um, Batman prequel TV show called Gotham. We're going to hit a handful of subjects and I believe even finish up with what you've been reading. But before we get into that, we do housekeeping with Ian Sharpley. I don't have anything funny to say right here, so I'm just going to go with it. Um, you can go podcast to Podcast Baby. Podcast Baby. Every It takes nine months to make a podcast, baby, and that's what we've done here. It's a beautiful baby. I don't know. I don't... Is it a baby boy? Is it a baby girl? I think it's... I think it's unisex because we don't want to alienate a wiener or a vagina. It also... We're all welcoming... Is multi-ethnic podcast, baby? Absolutely, 116th Navajo. You can kiss that podcast baby on its head every Wednesday by going to mcsauce.com, downloading the podcast, telling us the kind of things that you would like to hear about, be it comic book related, pop culture related. We like to talk about movies, as you know, so you can also hit us up with some of that. Go to the Facebook page and like us. You can contact us through Facebook, post photos on our Facebook page of your favorite comic book things. You can go to iTunes, that's where you're going to download the podcast, as well as mcsauce.podomatic.com. You can download it from there as well, or stream it. You can also stream it from Stitcher Radio. We, for the past few weeks, have been involved in the McSauce Toys for Tots charity. Uh, We kind of set this up a little too close to the deadline, I think. And we're still looking for donations. If you have a few extra dollars this holiday season and you want to help out some less than, uh, some, some children that are, that are needy and would, uh, really appreciate anything that you could donate, go to mcsauce.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, Click the donate button. Anything that you can donate will be very helpful. Uh, The deadline is the 12th, so it's coming up very, very soon. So if you can, uh, that's this Thursday. So when you know you'll be hearing this on Wednesday, please, if you can, uh, go go to mcsauce.com and donate. Any amount is really greatly appreciated. That Friday, we're going to go out to local Toys R Us in beautiful Monroeville and pick up some some toys and puzzles and games for kids that really, really need it this holiday season. So if you can, please uh, donate at McSauce.com. $10, $5, $2. Doesn't matter. $50 would be nice. <laughs> I thought you were going to say 50 cents. Maybe we should stick to dollar amounts. Yeah, well, at least It has to be dollars, people. Please keep it to dollars. <clears throat> This weekend at the Oaks in Oakmont, PA. The Oaks are celebrating the 16 days of Xmas. The 12th? 
and the 20th, the 11th and 12th, the 11th and 12th at 7 o'clock, Scrooge, the 1935 version of Scrooge. I've never seen said movie. I don't think I've seen that one. I went I went last weekend to It's a Wonderful Life, and that was the best turnout they have had in months. You braved the elements to go no, see? No, I went on Saturday when it was much nicer. Friday night... Oh, Friday night was Friday brutal. night was brutal. <clears throat> Although they said they had forty people, they had about maybe eighty people on Saturday night. Which, considering some of the crowds that they've been getting, um, that was a pretty good turnout. I was really excited to see that that many people went out for it, and uh, that's probably about the fifth time I've seen that movie. It's a Wonderful Life, and it really is good. I know that you guys said that you haven't seen it. I I do recommend it. It it holds up. <clears throat> I think more than most movies of that era would to uh, like today's standards and audiences and everything. And, and I think that um, I think that both of you guys would like it. I was watching it and I was thinking, Jimmy Stewart, I feel like if they were ever to remake this movie today, that, well, maybe not today, but maybe 10 years ago, that, that Tom Hanks would have played that character. Is he uh, a little too Bailey. old at this point? I think he is. He's kind of old. Like he's in that that new Saving Mr. Banks movie, the where it, he plays Walt Disney. That looks like a pretty good one. It does look pretty good, but he looks old, and I don't think he could pull off a uh, a, a young thirty-something um, George Bailey at, at this stage in his career, especially playing the. I mean, um, uh, what was this? What's the actor's name? Tom Hanks? No, the... Jimmy Stewart? Jimmy Stewart. He he, actually uh, played himself... Well, he played the young George Bailey in the movie when mm. he was, like, in... Coming back from co- well, college era, so he would have been, like, four years removed from high school. And then he played the character all the way through till probably his mid-30s. I know you said that Tom Hanks maybe 10, 15 years ago would be a good choice... But there's an actor now that would be, I think, an excellent choice that embodies all those things that Jimmy Stewart brought to that role. Colin Hanks. Dwayne The Rock Johnson. <laughs> yes. Perfect. Yes. So if, they, if they're going to make that, that's who I want to see cast. I like it. But tonight, we're going to talk a little bit of comic books in the media. There are a lot of talk about the Superman-Batman movie, Spider-Man, The Amazing Spider-Man 2, some TV stuff that we're going to get into. So we just watched The Amazing Spider-Man 2 trailer before the podcast, and uh, I don't think that it's any, it's any secret that I liked the original Amazing Spider-Man, Matt you didn't feel quite the same for that film? No. Paul, did you like the first Amazing Spider-Man? I liked it quite a lot. All except for the corny bit at the end where all the construction guys put get their oh, cranes in the yeah. I all like... out in the open so Spider-Man can swing to where he's going. I... That was that was a little contrived. Aside from that, I I thought it was a really, really good movie. I had actually not enjoyed that movie blocking that horrible sequence <laughs> out 
But now that you reminded me of it, it kind of taints, it kind of taints it even more for me. However, I want to say this: I don't want to dislike that movie, considering Spider-Man is quite possibly my favorite comic book character. I want to love it, so I kind of want to go back and rewatch it, and hopefully, seeing it maybe a second time with maybe a little bit more of an open mind, I, I can enjoy it better. Because I certainly don't want to feel the way that I do about it. But, the new trailer uh, gives me some hope for, for the sequel. Um, I think Andrew Garfield looks a lot less goofy this time around, because they've given him a haircut, which I think suits him well. That, it was a major complaint, his haircut in the last movie? Yeah. Well, Matt's a details guy, if we haven't learned in 36 weeks. Matt's a details guy. In baby time. Nine months. Yeah. Exactly. Matt would be the Donatello of our Ninja Turtles group. I like Michelangelo. No, you're definitely the more cerebral of the four of us, including Don. Hmm. So, uh... Okay, so... Because Dom is Michelangelo. Absolutely. An idiot. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding, Domi. Alright, so, uh, I, I like that he has a smaller head this time around. I felt that when he wasn't wearing the mask, when he was just Peter Parker, the haircut that he had... On that already enlarged melon on top of his neck, you're was just really too much going to with this. Well, I'm explaining my my stance. I think that his head looked like I have no idea how his neck supports the weight of that thing. And this time around, that he's got a haircut where you know it's not poofing out on the sides as much. It looks a little bit more in proportion. Now, when he wears the mask, it all kind of like pulls it together, so it doesn't look bad. But when he is just himself. I still kind of have a problem with Andrew Garfield's face because I still think that he looks a little bit like he has Down Syndrome. But but I, I'm i starting to get over that. I, That's a little depressed Matt. I always, feel like, I always feel like Matt's arguments are put together so well, so well spoken, so well constructed. They make a lot of sense. But this one here is just poking <laughs> holes through the idea of Matt for me. I'm like, man, maybe he is a retard. <laughs> um, so you didn't... So I you think, didn't... Um, you don't like his haircut. I don't... Did you, personally, did you dislike his acting? A little bit. A little bit. I think that... Uh, like, for example, even in the trailer, in the new trailer, he does like a sequence where he's talking to Gwen Stacy and he, he kind of repeats what he's saying almost to make it sound like it's like a little stutter in his speech and it just kind of seemed like unnecessary similar to billy d williams in return of the jedi when he said to han solo she she won't get a scratch remember that and he gave he gave her a scratch is what you're saying he did give it a scratch but that line just kind of didn't work like the whole forced it's like brian michael bendis is writing the dialogue a little bit if I can bring this back into the comics hold <clears throat> a little. You don't feel like people... <clears throat> no, 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 no. I do feel like they do that, but sometimes when those kind of lines are delivered in movies, they're unnatural. Billy Dee's way too polished an actor to have that kind of stutter. He was, he was seriously concerned, and he didn't believe 
what he was telling his good friend Han. He knew that he was going to scratch the fuck out of the Millennium Falcon. Oh, no, I don't think that. I think Billy D, a.k.a. Lando Calrissian, had way more confidence in his flying abilities. He was getting back into the into the driver's seat of his old car. He knew how to handle that motherfucker. Do we, do we think, who do you think pilots the Millennium Falcon better, Lando or Han? Who do we think? I never saw Han knock the satellite dish off the top. True that. That's true, but I never saw Han fly through the Death Star in those little tiny trenches. He did go through the asteroid field in very impressive fashion. He did, that is true, but I don't think what he was navigating in the asteroid field was... It was it was more fluid and maybe unpredictable, but the the tight quarters of the Death Star, the technical flying ability, yes. of Lando, I feel like that was somewhat unrivaled. I mean, he was going up against smaller uh, aircraft like X wings and Tie fighters that were banging off of the edges left and right, but he managed to get the Millennium Falcon, which is a ship twice as big as the the ships that were going after him. Show note, we turn this conversation into Star Wars real quick. <laughs> it was organic. I'm it just messing with you. Don't worry, we'll come around, we'll talk about Green Lantern before it's all said and done. We could, possibly. Or even Todd McFarlane. Who knows? The night is young. So, so Andrew Garfield, have you ever seen him in anything else? Have you seen The Social Network? I think he's a really good actor, is, is what I'm saying. And I thought he was good in the original Amazing Spider-Man. I've never liked... Andrew Garfield. Did you see the social when network? I've seen bits and pieces of the, of the social network. The whole movie just wasn't interesting to me. It just it, it just never drew me in. But I've I just had a general dislike for this guy. Why? Um, I don't know. Just something about him. Something it's his face, seemed, right? Um, I it's told his haircut. It's his it's goddamn his haircut. It's I don't think it's just his face. It's just it's just something. Yeah, it, it's it's this ab- is Andrew Garfield as Wolverine. <laughs> yeah, it's it's abstract. There's just something about him that I can't, I I couldn't put my finger on it. I never liked him. I heard he was cast as Peter Parker, and I was like, shit, this is, I I, I hate this guy, and he's gonna be Peter Parker. But in a movie called Never Let Me Go, which is a really dour, brutal, you know, depressing drama, he sold me. He won me over, and then in Amazing Spider Man. He won me over even more. And now, I would say I'm an Andrew Garfield fan. Hmm. Because between those two movies, he showed me... He showed me enough range going from the fucked up character that he portrayed in Never Let Me Go into playing, you know, somewhat carefree, ultimate Peter Parker and Amazing Spider-Man. He gave, he gave me an, enough of that range that I was able to like him in both roles. Mm-hmm. So I, I like him. I, I think he did a great job. He really felt like uh, Brian Michael Bendis's ultimate Spider-Man in that movie. He always came across more as an outsider as opposed to a, a nerd or a dweeb. Right. And, and you're not okay with that, right? Um, no, I, I feel like that's a, a a fundamental change of the character that that has no reason for happening. Um, See, but I, I think if if, if you're if you're way on the nerdy side, the transition to being the outgoing, wisecracking Spider-Man is that much is that much less believable. But if you're just kind of one of the punk skater kids on the outside of the popular kids, 
that transition is a lot more believable. I don't, I don't agree with that, and I'll tell you why. Because I think that a nerdy character like a nerdy Peter Parker has this side of him that he that he keeps hidden, that is uh, kind of buried deep within him, that he never really had the confidence to let it come out until that he got his special abilities, until he had a reason to have that confidence. Um, basically, he used his spider powers as kind of that crutch to, to kind of let his inhibitions go. He's wearing a mask, literally, and then he can take that off and really become somebody else through his personality, right. is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. That's kind of the, uh, the literal symbolism of it. See, I always thought there was there was too much of a dichotomy. Thinking back to like the nerd nerds that I went to high school with, there's there's no way one of these dudes is gonna be Spider Man and getting out there and being <laughs> and making they're, the jokes. They're too socially and being inept. funny. Yeah, they're just yeah, they're just real. I got gotcha. you. They're they're real awkward. I felt like I related to this version as well as the Ultimate version a little more because I would say that. In high school, I wasn't a nerd nerd. I would imagine that you guys feel the same way. You're just a little bit on the outside. This felt a little bit Do you think more... the actual nerd nerds are saying the same thing? Like, maybe they thought they were just on the outside? Like, we thought we were just on the outside? Could but be. But maybe we were... So we're really nerd, nerd nerds? nerds? No, we I, have... I don't think so. I'm with you 100%. Because we... <laughs> Because we, we do do a podcast strictly about comic books that we've been doing for, you know... Long enough to 30 make a baby. Baby making. But <laughs> regardless... But the that, I think that's why I liked Andrew Garfield's take was it, it just felt a little... It hit a little closer to home. Yeah, he was, he was a lot more relatable for me than the, you know, nerdy push-up-your-glasses science geek. There were, What were the other problems besides his haircut... His personality. Were there other problems with Amazing Spider-Man that you had, Matt? Uh, well, I wasn't a big fan of the rehashing of the origin, and, and not only that, I felt that it was it was done in a really similar fashion. There wasn't enough of kind of doing its own new thing. I thought that, like the death of um, of yeah, Uncle, Uncle ben, ben was too similar. Like I thought. You know, the second time around, they might stick a little closer to the comic book and have it be a cat burglar that, that you know, breaks in and shoots Uncle Ben, similar to the way that they did it in the Ultimate Spider-Man comic book. Um, How did it go down in Amazing? I can't think of anything except the the Tobey Maguire version. It, it was very... Were, oh, God. No, you got it. Was it a walk-by shooting? Kind walk of. Walk-by stabbing? It was a convenience store robbery yeah. that Peter let okay. go okay. down. Yeah, and and he essentially what got did he get caught in the crossfire or did he actually did Uncle Ben try to stop somebody? I, I don't, don't remember completely. But you know, it was kind of one of those deals. Whereas in the uh, Sam Raimi version, it was a carjacking, and I, I just feel like there was they're a little too similar, and neither one is really the comic book. So this was a prime opportunity for the for uh, Mark Webb to go ahead and. Trans translate the comic book onto the movie screen. I don't remember the the Amazing Spider-Man version exactly, but I'm willing to bet Martin Sheen tried to stop it uh, in order to give in in order to have Uncle Ben seem a little 
heroic before he died, kind of like teaching that last lesson, unlike just being a, an innocent bystander in your home. Martin Sheen did a really good job as Uncle Ben. He did. They kept him around. If I remember correctly, he had a pretty healthy screen time. Yeah, he did. For, you know, he, for a character that dies in the first act, basically. Yeah. Uh, so, wasn't crazy about that. Um, I felt that um, the the ending was... Can I spoil the ending a little bit? I thought that... Uh, Spoilers, everybody. Den- Dennis Leary's kind of um, round uh, character development, where he comes around... Uh, and, and all of a sudden support Spider-Man in the last seconds was kind of out of nowhere. Um, I wasn't crazy about that. Well, in uh, those last minutes, that's his only ally. True. You either support the guy that's trying to kill you or the only other guy on the top of that building that's yeah. on your side. Um, and I thought that... Um, what, what were my other problems with it? Like Paul pointed out the... Um, the you only like Gwen Stacy when she has a ponytail. But that's true. The, the Gwen Stacy in the trailer, I didn't like her with her hair down. Like, she she is such an <clears throat> iconic-looking character. Like, when you think of Gwen Stacy, you only think of her one way, and it's with... Falling from a building and getting her neck snapped. Well, yeah, I never picture her with a ponytail. I picture her with the bangs, but... Never with a ponytail. Okay, maybe not a ponytail, but certainly with the bangs and, and not curly hair. That hair is straight as an arrow. And uh, in the trailer, it's curly. It's got a little wave to it. It's got some body. Yeah. And uh, to me, that, that looks like Emma Stone as opposed to Gwen Stacy. Um, because Gwen Stacy has such a distinct look. Actresses can transform into her. Like uh, Ron Howard's daughter transformed into that character just like... Um, I, I keep saying these actors' names and then I forget them. Emma Stone transformed into the character in the first movie. Um, but it, it, that's just, you know, that's totally nitpicking. Um, You're very hair-centric. <laughs> if they can nail the hair, maybe not so much the makeup, but the hair, the hair part yeah. of it, they've got it, your the hair, money for the, the ticket. The hair frames the face. It, it, it's like an extension of the face. It's an extension of the head. I feel like the hair is very responsible for the overall shape and look of a character's head. The eyes are the window to the soul, but the hair is the... Shape of the head. Shape of the head to the soul. Yeah. As they like to say. So... Were there anything about The Amazing Spider-Man that you liked? Oh my god, yes. I, what I would say, first of all, is that I think... When he was Spider-Man, his movement was incredible looking. I loved the way that he moved like an insect because they very rarely, if ever, achieved that in the first three Raimi movies. But in this one, and I don't know if it's just advancements in CGI because particularly when Spider-Man was CGI in the Raimi movies, especially when you look back, doesn't hold up that wonderfully, honestly. But that is a bit of a trademark of a Raimi movie. I feel like sometimes his effects look kind of bad. Um, going all the way back to something like Darkman. And, and even like if you've seen some of his more recent stuff, like the Wizard of Oz movie that he did. There's just something very distinct, yet not realistic about the effects. I, I 
can't exactly put my finger on it. Even with his his shot selection, the way that he chooses to film his movies, it's a little over the top. It can be a little cartoony. Maybe it just goes hand in hand with his effects. Yeah, there's a little bit of a whimsy to it that uh, I like, though, and and I felt that it worked so well with Spider-Man. Whereas the current director, Mark Webb, I... Which, great name for the character that he's directing, right? <laughs> but That's true. He, he just, I don't feel, has quite the handle on the character that Raimi did. Um, it, the first movie, I don't think they knew exactly where they wanted to go. Did they want it to be an extension of the Raimi movies? Or did they want it to be kind of the flavor of the month at the time, which was on the kind of the coat uh, tales of um, The Dark Knight? Do we want it to be a darker movie? Because I remember the trailers when they came out, they were much more... They indicated that this movie was going to be a darker representation of Spider-Man. And then the actual movie came out, and it really wasn't that. It was it was a bit more playful. It was a big love story, really. It was, you know, Peter and, and Gwen's story a lot of the times. I enjoyed that. That was part of the 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 charm of that movie. Well, was, didn't didn't the first Spider-Man have kind of the same thing? It did, but no, because you, Tobey Maguire and Kirsten Dunst had absolutely no chemistry that's whatsoever. Ridiculous. It, it was an attempt. I mean, they were so iconic upside down, so kiss in the rain. Accurate. There was there was some, but I, mm-hmm. I liked. I would prefer Hayden Christensen going back to Star Wars. Hayden Christensen, Natalie Portman, no chemistry. Tobey Maguire and Kirsten Dunst in the first Spider-Man movie, plenty. I think it has more to do with... Fans, you all heard it. He just slammed the shit (laughs) out of Star Wars. Mark it down. I think it had more to do with... I'm just not a Kirsten Kirsten Dunst fan. Well, I'm not either. I remember when they casted her in that first movie. When they cast her? Come on now, pronunciation police. Is Knock it, it off. It's not cast. It's ca- it's cast, but who Don't gives a grammar? But who gives him. a fuck? Okay, <laughs> when they, sorry. When they cast her, I thought, isn't she blonde? Like she didn't hair again, right? It she just doesn't fit. How- it makes a big difference. Some complexions do not work with certain hair That's colors. right, Jessica Alba. I Fucking didn't think right. I didn't think that the hair and that's was a the big most deal extreme example. It is, but hey, it's it's Using that to, to really drive home our point. You know who the... You know who... Well, I'm a stone. Is she a natural blonde? Red. Actually, she's a natural blonde. Is she? Yeah. She was even saying uh, when she was cast as Gwen Stacy in the new movie that she was glad to... Because she feels like she's a bit typecast as a redhead, but she's glad to be going back to her natural color. Supposedly. She looks good. She looks natural. I like... I liked the on-screen romance that they had. I thought it was it was so good that it made me go back and watch 500 Days of Summer, the movie that Mark Webb directed prior to this. I don't know if it was directly prior to this, but it had a lot of the same kind of flavor to it. I want to see that movie because people have compared yep. it to the Little Depressed Boy comic book. They said that there are similarities in the characters. I could I could see why where they would say that I own it. I'll bring it over. That would be Much like I brought the Animaniacs Volume One and Two for Thanks, Matt Ian. today. Ian's awesome. Paul, what did you bring me tonight? I didn't bring you anything tonight. You suck. So, Amazing Spider-Man One. I liked it. Paul liked it. Matt, not so much. The trailer <laughs> for Amazing Spider-Man Two. Can I say that we all enjoyed the trailer? I think it looks really cool. 
I also enjoyed it, though I don't have a giant boner for it. I think it showed some really cool stuff, but it didn't give me anything. It didn't give me anything more than the first movie did. I really like the first movie, and this looks like a natural continuation. So I'm ready to go out, ready to see it. But I'm not like, holy shit, I, I have to see this movie. I kind of agree with you. It didn't give me anything beyond some of the really good-looking stills that we've already seen, like the Entertainment Weekly cover where it has uh, Jamie Foxx and Spider-Man on it. And I think Jamie Foxx looks incredible as Electro. As much as I like that classic, ridiculous 60s costume, this looks like this should be... Reference by your Sandman shirt tonight. Yes, this, to me, looks like it should be the new look for Electro. Very the, creepy. The comic books very often will will uh, use the, the movie as kind of the new template for the comic book you know, rendition of the characters. Like, for example, when X-Men, the movie X-Men came out, they were wearing ridiculous black leather suits, and somehow somebody thought, this will look better on the page than their current yellow and blue costumes, and they went ahead and they changed the costumes in Grant Morrison's run in X-Men. I was going to say, by somebody, you mean Grant Morrison. Grant Morrison. And they stayed for a while. That was the standard for a while. Well, I think that this new Electro look needs to be the new look, because I think he looks incredible. Think about what he looked like in the Ultimate Spider-Man run. He looked stupid. He, he looked, was a bald guy. He looked... Amazing. And here's where I'm going to disagree with you. I think Jamie Foxx looks neat. I think he looks cool. I think it works for the way they have his power set where he's made of pure electricity. Mm -hmm. But I kind of like the melding of the old 60s Electro and the Ultimate Electro mm -hmm. where if he was just a guy who was just constantly burned up by this power that he had all, had all the time, if they made an Electro that was just completely scarred up because every time he uses this power, he's essentially burning himself. I like that idea better than uh, Jamie Foxx here in, in All Blue. But, you know, they could win me over in, in the movie. But I, I really like that Ultimate Spider-Man version of him. This Jamie Foxx look is really striking. It really it, is. It's really, it's really eerie. It looks uh, extraterrestrial almost. It is, until you hear Jamie Foxx talk. I and that's what really bothered me about this trailer, is that I don't know if he was directed to do that, but he's doing this this really dark, whispery thing, and it sounds like Jamie Foxx doing a bit. It doesn't sound natural to me. What should he sound like? I don't... Just sound like Jamie Foxx. Just talk, just talk normal. I think that might be... More effective. No, you gotta sound like a villain. You gotta do it. The only thing... That's the only thing Characters, for this trailer. Think about any movie where, like, the villain just talks like a normal dude. The only one I can think of is Doctor Doom, and he sounded fucking stupid. That whole movie was stupid. Any other time, they, they put on some kind of, like... Sir Ian McKellen sounds like a villain. He's not a villain from a certain point of view. Star Wars True. reference number three, folks. For those of you keeping oh, I'm sorry. score so at home, you, you can't say <laughs> or Star Wars or taking shots and drinking. If that was us, we'd be destroyed every week. <laughs> yeah, the side. Yeah, his, his I, it didn't bother sounds, me that much. I, I it thought didn't it was bother okay. me at all. Well, Matt, Andrew Garfield's gigantic head doesn't bother me at all. How can he not? Have, He's we not each have our issues. That's true. 
the one thing that I thought, and we've all seen it from the stills, is the improvement on Spider-Man's uniform, especially his eyes. He gets the big, iconic 90s-looking eyes with the white uh, center to them. It was really cool seeing that costume pretty close to the one that we all know and love mm-hmm. in action. The it costume looks, great. looks amazing. Back back to the first movie, that was another gripe I had was that the costume was wildly off base and it and it made no sense why they wouldn't try to match it yeah, up. Yeah, it had the weird fingers where the blue and the red kinda overlapped on each other yeah. going down to the fingertips. Yep. And just I mean, they're such subtle differences. You don't even really notice them. Yeah. But every so often when you do, it's like, what the hell is that? He it had, just looks he so had, good um, now. The, the spider on his chest was was too... Um, I, I don't know. what's. It was a little bit too abstract. And they took that and they kind of melded it with the classic spider. It has its and bottom it, legs kind of drifting all the way down... Yeah. The center of his body. It, but it's so thin, too. But the current one basically takes that and thickens it up. And it works so much better. I really like it now. Um, but he was kind of wearing tennis shoes, almost, in the first movie. Yeah, in the in the original one, the the red chest piece doesn't come down and form that weird belt. Yeah. It just kind of stops in an arrow pointing yeah. to his dingus. Now, one thing that I'm kind of curious about this time... It, it seems like in every version of Spider-Man in the movie since the Raimi one, his eyes are shiny. Why are they not the same kind of material as the rest of the suit? I Just out of curiosity. Because you can't see through the rest of the suit. It's supposed to just be like a translucent material, mm. I guess. I don't know. I don't know. They almost look like lenses a little bit, like white lenses, as opposed to just a, a mask. I don't know. I like this suit probably better than any other Spider-Man suit that Without I've a ever doubt. seen. It Without looks a doubt. awesome. As a matter of fact, I would be down with it if they took the way that they treat the logo on his chest, if they did that in the comic books. I think it's that good. It looks... Do you think Dr. Octopus would be okay with them changing his uniform? <laughs> yeah, the, the suit in, the, in, in this movie looks great. The the bright red, the bright blue, the big eyes. You know, it's, it's the Spider-Man suit. And I've been watching... I watched Man of Steel uh, a, a couple weeks ago. I loved it more now than I did the first time I saw it because I, I understand more about it. And I'm going back and I'm you watching. You loved it the first time. And I, I, like, I liked it, it the first time. Currently, I love it. Um, I was going, going back watching the creator commentary on it, and there's you know they do like pop up video style creator commentary where like the the director's commentary. Well, yeah, you yeah. watch the whole movie with the commentary. Yeah, that's cool. So I'm I'm watching it, and they'll have they'll play like the movie in a smaller box, but then they'll show the actual filming, you know, without any of the post production done on it. And the that Superman suit looks really good in broad daylight when they're showing the the Smallville scenes because it's really blue. It's blue and red, but then by the time they take it through post and put the filters and whatever on it, it really sucks the color out of it. Looks like navy and maroon. Yeah, well, the the red's still pretty red, but the blue is what really gets hurt. It turns into this like slate blue, almost gray business. But by the time you see the actual movie, and you know, seeing the seeing the Spider-Man suit now, I hope Zack Snyder is taking notice. And in this Batman Superman film, 
you know, maybe they can brighten up that blue a little bit because it's not going to be so ridiculous. Well, if he's listening to the podcast, and you know, he probably is. It's not is a stretch. Any, is there anything you'd like to tell him directly? I don't think so. I think he knows. All he right, knows. Zach, you, you heard the details, though. So, one thing that does worry me about Amazing Spider-Man 2 is the amount of villains that are featured in the trailer. Well, we keep hearing rumors that there's going to be more and more villains, and they're not saying who. Uh, so far, we know that there's going to be Rhino, we know there's going to be Electro, and it looks like there's going to be some version of the Green Goblin, right? Those are the three so far? Yeah. I did like the hint in the trailer of vulture wings and octopus arms as mm-hmm. they're walking through Oscorp. That's cool. I don't have a problem with all the villains coming from one company. I really don't. Um, if well, that, that's a good segue to one of Matt's gripes about the trailer, which may be more substantial than my I don't like Jamie Foxx's voice gripe. Matt, uh, the Oscorp looks like they are the grandfather of all the Spider-Man villains. In this Mark Webb universe. Of all of all the powers in the Spider-Man universe, including Peter Parker's. And you don't like that? No, absolutely not. I think it takes away a lot of the originality and uniqueness of each individual character. I mean, why every movie you're going to introduce a new villain and his backstory is going to be the same. Yeah, I came from Oscorp. So you didn't like that when they did that in Ultimate Spider-Man? Who, did, who all came from? I, I, it's been a the while. majority of the villains. I mean, Doctor Octopus, Green Goblin, Hobgoblin. Mm-mm. Eventually, but I don't think I don't, guys like Rhino and Shocker. I don't think Electro came from Oscorp and Ultimate. I don't think so. We don't know. But if a Rhino good amount of them did come from Oscorp, as did Peter Parker's powers came from Oscorp. Venom came from Oscorp. And Carnage as well. Um, so uh, what I'm saying, you know, without rattling off all the villains, is that it's it's the same spin on that, which you know, worked in the Ultimate Universe. I don't see it as such a stretch. Um, I actually forgot how many of these characters originated from Oscorp in the uh, Ultimate comic. And um, it's been so long, like, I kind of need to revisit that, but just thinking about it, yeah, I don't think that that's an interesting way to do it. I feel like that's uh, a kind of a, a lame way of doing it, really. Like, what, what, why is it done that way as opposed to letting these characters have their own unique origins um, and their own unique motivations? Instead, it's kind of, you know, they all come from the same cradle of villain civilization cradle of villainy yeah i don't i don't know why everything needs to be connected it doesn't bother me um they did that in spec the spectacular spider-man cartoon where all the villains seem to stem from oscorp but that whole that show as a whole was done so well that 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 wasn't a big deal for me and it's not a it's not a big deal for me now but it is that what bothers the shit out of me after a couple more viewings of that trailer, is the fucking spider cave. And Richard Parker being Bruce Wayne and having his secret scientist lair. I've never liked the idea that P- that Richard and Mary Parker were involved in some bigger conspiracy. And they didn't just go down in a plane crash, they were murdered, and they have a secret lair in the subway. I'm, I'm just not a fan. It's of that. not my favorite either, but it fits in the modern day 
conspiracy theories, paranoia, all that stuff is prevalent now. Do you believe that, or are you just arguing with us? I'm not arguing with. Am I arguing? I said I don't I know, really like it. I know it, sometimes but... you like to spark debate. Sometimes <laughs> an opinion may not be wholly your own, Why and I would like to clear that up. I don't think that I'm... I, I even... I agreed with you. I said I don't like that, but I think it might just be more appropriate or that they're going for a different angle than the original you know we're dealing with something that real really recently has another franchise they're taking steps to make it a little bit different for the audience we already kind of stated how we didn't like how closely they rehashed the origin story by giving peter's parents a, you know a part in the origin it makes it different i don't like it I'm just saying, Doesn't I can it? see where they're going with But don't you think the spider cave seems to be a little too much? Like, whereas in the first movie they hint, oh, your parents, there's some shady business going on. They were kind of murdered. They didn't just die. But now he has a fucking spider cave. Is it his spider cave? Is it his dad's spider cave? I don't know. Does it tell you well, in the trailer? It looks like it's Richard's spider cave. I didn't if see you were, If you thought that your employers or somebody was trying to murder you, wouldn't you set up something, a hideout? Wouldn't you want to tell somebody to help them? Maybe they would be in trouble too? I think it's reasonable to see it. The explanation in the movie may put aside all of my concerns. But from as it looks right now, it like it. I I'm guessing that it's some some kind of other secret base that Oscorp had set up, and Richard Parker took over as his own. Do you think it's not organic to that character? I think it's organic to that story, but I don't I don't want it to be organic to that story. Bad things just happen to people. It's okay if. Peter Parker's parents die on accident and he accidentally gets powers. If it gets fucking set up in these next couple movies that he gets planted with those spider powers, I'll flip. And I'm not even a Spider-Man guy. I didn't realize that that was the spider cave, honestly. Uh, I'm not crazy about bringing his parents into the fold and making them major players in the plot line going forward. I was always content that uh, more or less the way they treated it in the Raimi movies that something happened to his parents, he now lives with and is taken care of by his aunt and uncle. And that's all the explanation I really need. Um, there is so much richness and, and, and such a wealth of stories to pull from uh, contriving something with his parents. Uh, but they are is, pulling from stories. They're using the source material. Well, yeah, I guess. We don't know really what they're doing. We know that... that we don't know what they're doing in the movies, but the source material is that they were they were spies, correct? Yeah. And uh, how did... They died in a plane crash, correct? Yes. And then they came back or something at some point. I don't I know. I stopped collecting Spider-Man after they came what's, back. What's the, what's the original Stan Lee material? They were spies? 
I don't think Stan. Well, Lee no, Lee. I mean this is further down. This is into the like, '90s where they, yeah, original Stan Lee. No, the original stuff, was they just. I don't even know if Stan crash. Lee really touched. It. I mean, maybe it was a plane crash. I, it yeah, was such a ever... small piece of the lore. Right. It didn't matter because it didn't matter. No. What mattered was what happened to Uncle Ben. What matter? Yeah, right. And and the villains that he had to contend with. Now the theme throughout all the you know the classic Spider-Man villains is. Uh, the thing that ties them together is they're all science-based, really. Um, which kind of lends itself to the whole Oscorp thing, since it's this big lab where all kinds of crazy shit goes down, and weaponry and things like that. I get it, but aren't there other scientific ways where things can kind of fall into place? Does it have to all happen in this one building? There are other labs. I agree. There are other labs. There, there are, are other, other scientists. There are other accidents just waiting to happen in other labs. Star Labs, Cadmus, LexCorp, tons of other labs. This I could admit happen that it was cool to see the vulture's wings, and it was cool to see Dr. Octopus's arms and things like that. Totally cool to see it, but when you actually think about how it's all tied together, it just takes some of the... You don't think that a huge corporation could be working on all these different branches? My my attempt at trying to assuade Matt's fears about everything stemming from Oscorp is that we don't know they're responsible. I like assuade, by the way. We don't know they're responsible for all of that. Some other, some weirdo scientist may have made his own vulture wings, and Oscorp was like, hey, we're going to come take you over because we're big business or whatever. Same with anyone else. Nothing in the trailer says Rhino comes from Oscorp. True. Now, uh, Paul and I watched the trailer for the first time together last week. and Where was I? You were at work, because we were at work. We weren't talking about you much. If our bosses are listening, uh, (laughs) it was during our lunch break. I feel like there's another podcast out there. It's called The McSauce. Gossip podcast starring <laughs> Matt and Paul, and then there's a third one called the Mixos Paranoid Podcast starring Ian Sharpley. Ian Sharpley in the back in the, in the Sharpley cave. So while we were watching it, Paul said, "It looks like they're setting up the Sinister Six and I was like, "Oh yeah, that's kind of cool though." And that that could make potentially make up for. Uh, having all these characters with the exact same identical origin. Um, that could be very cool to see the Sinister, the Sinister Six. The would be and awesome. It would But be. do you think that they could bring back Jamie Foxx and Paul Giamatti for Why a third not? movie? I, I, I mean, I, I don't know. They brought... Look, the, the Avengers... Do you think they'll let these these characters live? The I guess Avengers, that's the question. The Avengers changed the way superhero movies are made. There was such success with getting these these actors involved on a, like a multi uh, movie contract that they knew they could bring them back for more than one film. You know, you weren't going to have any holdouts or any bullshit like that. Did the lizard it, die at the end of Amazing? Who the lizard? the lizard? I believe so. Yeah, I think if so. I remember correctly. Uh, although with the whole regener- regenerative. Right. Uh, aspect you could probably bring him back. Although, didn't that actor that played him kind of like behave his way out of getting to? What do you mean, Reese Evans? I believe he was arrested. 
during like a premiere or something around the time of a premiere because really? he, yeah, I think he kind of went off on the United States and um, he's know, been a, he's played a major role on Elementary this season. I don't know. So where's that film? Canada? No, it's a big Hollywood show. It's not CBS. Anyway, uh, self-described obsessive fan of Spider-Man comics as a child. Hmm. Seems like he'd want to be involved. And Paul Giamatti lobbied for to be the Rhino. So it right. And I feel like people approach comic book movies differently now. They see the success. They see a billion dollars what Avengers made, and they're like, I want to be part of something like that. And Spider-Man has has the the franchise to be able to pull that off with all those villains you put them all together that could be absolutely amazing i mean my favorite spider-man story ever was a sinister six story so um if they, if they were to translate that into the you know from the page onto the screen is the one with deathlock and the fantastic four and the punisher actually the i like the um, i did love that one that was That's the one where, where he has the bionic arm yeah. and smashed up eye. My favorite part like of that, that was, was the cliffhanger ending where he was surrounded by all the Sinister Six and, and it was just Spider-Man hanging on his web and is the final page of that, of that issue. And they're all ready to get him and he goes, how about we call it a draw? <laughs> so knowing, knowing your love for the comic book stories that you love... Lust. And your tentative nature about movies and their adaptations. Do you really want them to adapt the Sinister Six to film, knowing that you're going to be super critical about it? Kind of like how I don't really want them to make Justice League? Um, yeah. Do it. Fuck it. Yeah, why not? I know that it won't be exact. Let's go I like that. I like that attitude. Yeah, I mean, look. Is every little thing going to even if they mess up somebody's hair along Even the way? Even if they mess up a, a strand of hair along the way, I will probably still find overall enjoyment. Uh, and, and hey, look, like I said, I want to go back and I want to find that overall enjoyment in the first Amazing Spider-Man because it, it like kind of bums me out that I don't like it. Sony honestly. announced that, um, they, that they want to make their... Like, Spider-Man's the only big thing they have... <clears throat> And they want that to be their big franchise. And immediately the question is, well, does Spider-Man have that big of a character base that they can branch things out like Avengers? Potentially. Because he doesn't really have any allies. Um, you can have the um, Ben Urich solo of, film. A lot of Spider-Man's allies are Daredevil. Yeah, they're Punisher. owned by other properties. What they could potentially do is spin out, like, maybe a Spider-Girl. Um, although the way Marvel seems to be going, that almost looks like it could be a show. Um, maybe not. I don't know. You'd probably need the... the Black Cat is a Spider-Man property Maybe you could can do Black used. Cat. If Black Cat is introduced into the fold, which I don't think we'll get in this movie. That sounds more maybe like right. a part We haven't movie. even got Mary Jane yet. And she's not in this movie, correct? Correct. That's weird that they're not introducing She her. was cast, she filmed all of her scenes, and then they decided it's too much, we're cutting it out. I like that maneuver. Sure? Yeah, Shailene, it was Shailene Woodley, she was Mary Jane, they brought her on, they filmed a bunch of stuff, and then they decided it's too much, the movie's already cramped, so we're gonna, we're just gonna 
uh, not user, which sucks for Shailene Woodley because that's a pretty iconic role that I think she would have done a good job in. But I think by the time they get into Amazing 3, oh, I know what she looks like. By the time she gets them into Amazing 3, they're probably going to recast. Yeah, that's what they tend to do, I think. Um, and they'll probably have to cram that character's story into one film, like they tried to do with the Gwen Stacy role in the third, in the one. third one. Yeah, but I I want to say that they'll probably kill Gwen Stacy in this second movie, kind of leaving the third movie to be Mary Jane's. And probably they will have that, like... You know, love triangle with Black Cat. So speaking of killing Gwen Stacy, from the trailer, it looks like Harry is the Green Goblin or a Goblin. Are you guys on board with that? Yes, I agree. Well, I was looking at the trailer. Right out of the gate. Oh, I, was... I agree that he that it looks like he's oh, the Green okay. Goblin. Well, clearly there is some Goblin character in this, right? And although I will say this. It's very reminiscent of the Raimi version, is it not? Whoa. The suit? Yeah. So far, yeah. It looks very military-esque, kind of. um, I don't think that it's going to be possible for Chris Cooper, who plays Norman Osborn, in his state from the trailer, to be a goblin of any kind. But if they go the ultimate route and the scientific route, there's nothing saying that he's in his deathbed in that trailer. But at some point, he gets some goblin serum. Goblin that, juice. Some some goblin juice that turns him into, like, the big hulking CG monster that he'd be from Ultimates. Or Ultimate spider I don't think we'll get that version of Green Goblin. I think they'll stick a little closer to the traditional, regular-sized dude look. Uh, although, when I was looking at this trailer before we started the podcast tonight, I noticed it looked like he had blonde hair. And Harry in the trailer has dark hair, so I don't know what's going on there. I don't. Maybe it's not him. I'm not. I'm not clear on that. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not clear on it either. But it looks more like they're leaning toward Harry than than Norman. And Harry in this movie looks like he's already got a evil. edge. Like to he's him. already evil. Yeah, yeah. I think that's just Dane DeHaan's face. Yeah, I. This is my first interaction with this actor and he's he's pretty creepy looking i'd have to say it's a strange choice a departure from the handsome dashing james franco in the sam raimi version this guy's he's he's a little bit of a he's a little bit of a creep i would recommend everyone to go out and see chronicle agreed it's a not really a superhero movie but it, it's a movie about powers and I think it, it's done really well it's a it's and, a found footage style superhero movie right and Dane DeHaan is really good in it yeah he is and so is um it reminds me a Michael lot Michael B. Jordan the black guy well what about the other white guy he was alright yeah yeah I think DeHaan and Jordan were the oh, two that Jordan the two dude, standouts is in that, that who they're talking about playing the human torch yeah and I've heard his name bandied about for the new Star Wars. He's going to be the Human Torch? That's going to be interesting. Is he a... Yeah, well, Sue Storm. Well, I heard they were going to call him Hot Wing. They weren't going to call him the Human Torch. <laughs> Sue Storm would have to be black, too, unless he's adopted. <laughs> Maybe they're just going to do that for diversity's sake. Or How ridiculous. 
Or is it a brother from another mother? Maybe. I like him, though. I watched I, I would like them to just do it and nobody mention that he's black <laughs> the entire no, time. Really that would be awesome. I like that guy. I, I liked him in uh, the season of Friday Night Lights that he was in. He was great in Chronicle. Uh, everything I've seen him in, he's been really good. Yeah. Chronicle is good. Yeah, I recommend you check that out. Uh, th- now, I hate to go back to Star Wars. I really do. But Paul and I... Take again, a shot, take a everybody. Shot, everybody. <laughs> we were talking uh, right around That's when we were stuff. when at work when we were talking about the... Um, the Spider-Man trailer. It's gossip cast, you were and, saying. And uh, this Dane DeHaan, I was looking at him and I said, man, that kid, if they ever like wanted to redo uh, Star Wars, the, the original trilogy, he could play Luke Skywalker. And think, or not only that, he this they should be looking at this kid for the new um, the new episode seven. I feel like he looks like he could very easily be like a descendant of of. The Skywalkers. Yeah, I it was, looks a I little was, more psychotic. Than sure, Mark he does. Hamill. Well, he's got the the dark side flowing yeah. through him. I'm. I agree that he looks like he could easily fit into the the uh, Star Wars universe. But as our buddy Justin pointed out this past week, if they were going to remake it, I think Anton Yelchin would be a great Luke Skywalker. Of Terminator, Salvation, yeah, and Star Trek. Yeah, there, if if you Google Luke Skywalker, Anton Yelchin, there's a side by side of Mark Hamill and Yelchin, and it looks it looks really good. It gets me excited for a movie that's never going to be made. Yeah, but this uh, this kid, he he looks like he's got a lot of evil in in his eyes. I would think that he's going to bring some of that to the character like, of Harry. When, when in the Spider-Man mythos does Harry go bad? Like, aren't like them buddies for a long time when he's fighting Norman as the Green Goblin, right? Well, in in reality, I don't know by issue what issue it is that Gwen Stacy dies, Norman Osborn gets hit by his glider. I don't know how long that is. Honestly, just off the top of my head, I bet it's only like three or four years, something like that, which in comic book time isn't very long. Because I, I like the traditional nature of Norman being the Green Goblin, but I also like the Green Goblin being being Peter's peer. I like the idea of them being the same age. So I'm really up in the air about who I want that Green Goblin character to be. I just don't want it to be... Robo Goblin. It was issue. Kind of looks like we're seeing. Sorry, it was issue one twenty one. By the way, one twenty one. Yeah, I knew that. I was going to say one eighty one, but isn't that the first appearance of um, Supergirl? What? Isn't that the first appearance of Wolverine in in Hulk? I don't know off the top of that. Or is it top of my head? Okay, good question. So I'm I'm pretty hopeful for the Amazing Spider Man too. I think they might be taking a chance with cramming too many villains, but. It still looks like something that I'm I'm going to enjoy. Maybe they'll handle it with care, and uh, it, it has all the makings of something that I'm going to really, really like. Uh, fair treatment of our beloved Spider-Man character. I really agree with you, basically on everything that you just said. Uh, I'm I'm excited about it. Not like super excited. So final final thoughts, Matt. Expectations, excitement. Polynomics, y'all. Uh, I'm going to say my expectations are a 6. My excitement is a 7. 
Expectation seven, excitement eight. Oh, I'm gonna go expectations and excitement, both an eight. Whoa! And with that, perfect timing, pizza break, folks. that chicken habanero was it spicy was it hot it was a little spicy it had uh jalapenos on it so had a little bit of a kick but not much i liked it good i'm really glad you enjoyed your sub it comes in a pretty big box yeah it's not indicative of how big the sub is on the inside the sub was just the right size for me excellent it was a mat size sub we talked Spider-Man, covered some Marvel movie movie ground. Um, now we're going to get into some DC movie news. As last week, Gal Gadot, Gadot? I think it's Gadot. I think it's Gadot, too. I was having trouble with this all day today yeah. because I was like, I know Paul's going to bust my pronunci- yeah, I, yeah, <laughs> pronunciation on sure it and let him go with it. Um, Gadot. <clears throat> Gal Gadot cast as Wonder Woman. And Gal Gadot Batman sounds like Galvatron's daughter. Right. Galvatron's not a G1 character, so we don't care about Galvatron. True. So, who has a strong opinion about Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman? The first ever theatrical Wonder Woman. I think that they may have missed the mark just on her appearance. She's very pretty. Wonder Woman has to be pretty. Um, See, I don't even think Wonder Woman has... Well, yeah, I guess she has to be pretty. But I I don't feel like I need to be blown away by her. She doesn't have to be a model, per se. And unfortunately, Gal Gadot is a former model in Miss Universe. Yeah, I never... I never relate the, the idea of what Wonder Woman looks like to being someone that's just so gorgeous. Like, I always see her more as... Like a warrior and a female role model, role model, than someone that's just absolutely stunning. Like I think when Wonder Woman walks into a room, it's just her presence. It's just who she is that draws that attention. Not so much that oh, this chick could be a model. I think her strength and sex appeal go hand in hand. She really is the the champion of the strong mm-hmm. woman that can also be feminine. I think. Right, but Gal Gadot's almost a little too feminine. She's extremely too feminine in my estimation. I don't want to overreact and say that this is horrible and this is the sign that 
DC has made another misstep in its theatrical universe. I wouldn't want to get all over dramatic, but I don't think that this is necessarily heading in the right direction. Um, if they were going to cast somebody that was an unknown, they should go with a real unknown. This woman's been in three Fast and the Furious films that have made a lot of money. A lot of people would know her from those. Um, so that's one thing going against her. Have you seen those her. movies? I've, I've seen... The ones that she was in. I Yeah, I have seen the ones that she was in. Can she act? She's no worse than Gina Carano, who is my pick, and a lot of other... And, and the internet's pick for Wonder Woman. Um... She she's not she's not great she's not bad she's she's just an actress I I don't think she's horrible but it's not like they they picked her over somebody else because of her exceptional acting chops. yeah her her size is what's really concerning to me uh you I mean she's gonna she's five eight I think she's actually five nine not the nitpick. I'm doing this because I have okay. something else, okay? She's five she's five nine. Uh she'll be she'll be assumingly acting opposite the six one Henry Cavill and, six, and the six four. four Ben Affleck. I mean those are pl- plus we already know Cavill's gonna be ripped to shreds. And Affleck is and, naturally yeah. large in frame. And Affleck has that frame. I, I assume they're all gonna get on the same workout routine with um, the same team that did Man of Steel. So I mean Affleck's gonna be a monster if he goes through the uh, the the uh, Cavill workout. But he has he has a big frame to to build upon. I mean he can be terrifying. But Gal Gadot, she's five nine. But she looks so frail and tiny. Like I don't know how much she has to build on to get her looking like a physically imposing figure. She's 110 pounds. Where in I'm gonna compare and contrast because I I would like to see Gina Carano as as Diana Prince, who she's five eight, so she's only an inch shorter than Gal Gadot, but she's 143 pounds. That's 33 pounds, and that's all muscle. Um, yeah, I'm, even if, even if you know, maybe if they can bulk bulk her up, it, it'll be different. But yeah, maybe. even at five eight, Gina Carano looks imposing. You look at her and you're like, yeah, that chick's ripped. She's no Ronda Rousey, but I mean, she's she's a ripped chick. I like both of them, so it's, you do. A, it's okay. Uh, Gina Carano. An- another concern about Gal Gadot is being able to fight off monsters and supervillains and just men. Can she fight off some dude in Hordes of fanboys. I don't think that her frame really lends it to a convincing physical confrontation, whereas Gina Carano physically can beat the shit out of dudes. If you go and look at a film a couple years ago, Haywire, the first first ten minutes is... uh, a pretty lengthy uh, hand-to-hand combat scene with her fighting a, a, I think it's Michael Fassbender, and it's very convincing because she can do that kind of stuff. And I think that that's something that Wonder Woman really needs, and it's important to her character is to be able to hold her own against any kind of circumstance. Yeah, on the positive side of her of her size, 
I do like the juxtaposition of a smaller, a smaller frame doing super things, like the way Mahmoud Azrar would draw Supergirl in the... I guess he still draws New 52 Supergirl. I only got, I think, maybe the first 12 issues, but he would draw her as a 14-year-old girl. She wasn't big and busty. She wasn't curvy. She looked like she was 14, but, you know, he'd show this little frame, you know, lifting tanks and doing all this amazing stuff. And I always liked seeing that, that juxtaposition of, oh, this, this little girl is terrifyingly strong. So, uh, if we're going to talk positive about it, that's that's where I'm going to go with it. Matt, you're awful quiet over there. And we're not even talking 80s cartoons. I think she is awfully dainty to be an Amazon warrior. Amazons are supposed to be like 6'3". They're supposed to be huge. I'm fine with her height. Her height, whatever. 5'9", that's perfectly acceptable for a female to play against uh, Henry Cavill and Ben Affleck. The problem is, she's got little arms, she's got a little waist, she has little, little legs, she has no meat on her bones, she has no muscle definition, or more importantly, no muscle mass. You need a Lucy Lawless style build uh, with ripped muscles. I want to see like Linda Hamilton circa Terminator 2 kind of rippage on on the chick that's going to play um, Wonder Woman. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I, th- I think the Linda Hamilton call is is a good call because Linda Hamilton wasn't she wasn't big and bulky, but she's cut in yeah. that movie. Yeah. And maybe this girl will do that. Somehow I don't see that happening. Um, I don't know anything about her. So take what I'm going to say with a grain of salt. But I look at her as kind of another pretty face that has achieved her fame through just her hotness. And And blowing dudes. And I don't really look at her as the kind of actress that is going to go in the gym and work out like an animal, like Henry Cavill did for Superman, and make herself look like a truly formidable warrior. I think she's just going to be kind of the uh, the sex appeal of this movie. Those and are some pretty broad aspersions on her character since we don't know what her work ethic I, is. I don't know what her work ethic is, but she's a model. Her entire professional career seems to be geared towards looking really hot. And, you know, again, I don't know what her audition process was for the Fast and Furious movies, but I'm sure her prettiness came into play. Um, The phrase, take your shirt off, was probably thrown around. Yeah. (laughs) So, I would have preferred to see a much more... just a tougher looking, a very attractive but tougher looking female character. Like, again, like Lucy Lawless, or like you mentioned, Ian Gina Carano, who used to be an American gladiator. True that. Um, and I, I just feel like they missed the mark. 
However, I have to say this. I have been disappointed in casting in the past before I ever saw the movie. The best case, best example I can give is whenever they, whenever they cast Heath Ledger as the Joker. I couldn't have been more disappointed with that casting. I was pretty disgusted. However, I had somebody specific in mind who I wanted it to be, and that was Adrian Brody, who I still maintain would have been a better Joker than Heath Ledger. Uh, That's so, a bold statement. Yeah, it's accurate, but it, it's bold and accurate. That's me, bold and accurate. But, <laughs> but I think there's still a chance where Adrian Brody could take on that role in, in a future uh, Batman movie, perhaps. Um, I mean... He's got the build for it, he's got the face for it especially, and he certainly has the, the acting chops to, to pull it off. So, um, again, we don't know what this, um, what's her name again, Gal Gadot, is yes. capable of acting-wise. Um, obviously, this is... She could drive a car backwards. <clears throat> this is going to be her, her most high-profile role, so... Zack Snyder swears by her acting ability, he was mesmerized by her her acting chops, so... I mean, I, I'm going to try not to judge too harshly, but right now, on the surface, she doesn't look to be the right person. Maybe we'll all be pleasantly surprised. I hope to be. Another problem... It looks like she could, she could be a good Donna Troy. I think that... Maybe. Wonder Girl. Right. I think that it, it was a mistake, though, to select yet another controversial actor for this movie. Ben Affleck was perhaps the most controversial casting ever, you know, at least in the internet age, um, to follow up that news with yet another somewhat puzzling uh, cast casting selection. I, I was... A little weird. I was kind of worried because I, I didn't really have the understanding that Wonder Woman was going to be in this film. This kind of speaks to what I was talking about before with Spider-Man, a lot of villains. It seems like DC is going and putting a lot of heroes in this movie. They did confirm that The Flash is going to be a part of this as well. Is that true? No? No, no confirmation? I heard nothing of that. I haven't heard okay. any of that. I, th I, I thought I saw somewhere that you they were talking. <laughs> Maybe. It was a nightmare. And that's what... And that's but really it, the the most concerning thing coming out of this Gal Gadot announcement is that we don't need Wonder Woman in this movie. Are they going to change that logo around and change the name to <laughs> Trinity? It's still, you know, it's still technically Man of Steel two. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne's involved. Amy Adams is involved. So I mean, you, you're so you're going to work in the Superman family along with. Batman, or you going to show Batman without showing an Alfred? And a little taste, a little taste of Wonder Woman. See, yeah, and then we're going to throw throw Wonder Woman in, but is it going to be, is she just going to be Diana Prince? Is it just going to be a setup for the next movie? But the way this has been announced and the way Zack Snyder has said Wonder Woman, you know, he hasn't been coy about it. The, the statements he's made about it is that She's going to be Wonder Woman in this movie, and I think that's it's too much. It's too many characters. Well, we don't know what the movie is about. I still 
am not convinced that this is Man of Steel 2 so much as it, as it is some kind of world's finest or trinity now. I think that will be clarified in the next year. Um, but I, I was under the impression we were just going to get a taste of Batman before there was any uh, announcement of Wonder Woman. I thought it was just going to be a Superman movie with... Batman happens to, to show up, maybe has 30 minutes of screen time, something like that. But this kind of really changes everything, I think, as far as what to expect. There's been so much Batman press around it. Like, it, it since they announced Ben Affleck, it's kind of like it's he... It's Batman, it's, Superman. Yeah, when they build it, it's going to be Ben Affleck, Henry Cavill, Owen, Amy Adams, and Lawrence Fishburne are in this, too. Kind of. Featuring Gal Gadot. By the way, it, it it probably wasn't great picking a girl that for to play Wonder Woman in Gal Gadot that it looks like Amy Adams could beat the shit out of her in about like <laughs> about ten seconds. Amy Adams does look like she a would, little more rough than Gal Gadot. Cause Amy and no, I haven't seen Gal Gadot act. I haven't seen her I haven't seen her live. I've only seen pictures. But I've seen Amy Adams in enough where she's street smart. The Amy Adams from The Fighter could beat the dog shit out of Gal Gadot not from even, any Fast Not even Amy movie. Adams from The Fighter, but Amy Adams from, from the Sunshine Cleaning. Amy Adams from... Enchanted. Uh, the Trouble with <laughs> the Curve. Maybe not Enchanted. But Amy Mupp- Adams Amy, is Amy Adams way. from American Hustle, where she, she looks she's got, sexy. She's able to play... Edge, she's able to play street smarts. Like, she'll fuck you up if it comes down to it. But, you know, I haven't seen Gal Gadot act. Maybe she's got that in her. I wasn't in the... You're gonna have to get... I wasn't in the audition. You're gonna have to get fast and furious with it and do some do some reading. But uh, I, the way I feel, I think that by Christmas, they're just going to rename this movie Justice League. It feels like they just keep adding more ingredients to the Superman stew and it's just getting more murky it's getting more convoluted right. it's not a Superman movie anymore I don't know what it it, it really feels like they're knee jerk reactioning and, and trying to make their version of Avengers now we're not going to get clarity on that by Christmas but do they have a script do we know if there's a script written there's probably not I mean not not anything finalized, I would think. I mean, this movie isn't coming out for, well, a year and a half, right? Yeah. I, they probably Same amount straight. of time as Star Wars, right? Well, don't say those words on this podcast. That, that's a no-no. Take a shot, everybody. It upsets me on the level that Man of Steel was a really good foundation to really bring Superman back into public consciousness. It was a movie that you loved. I did. And... It's it, but it's just a really good stepping stone to really make some more really good Superman movies. I mean, you can take what they've already built and have that second movie where you don't need to tell the origin. You can just come out of the gate and you can have more of the Superman everybody was expecting. You know, everyone went into that movie disappointed because you didn't get Christopher Reeve because he was too young and he's still learning. Was that really even much of an origin story? So much as it was kind of a history of Krypton I mean it was, it was both 
But we didn't, we his, didn't get any taste of him at the Daily Planet in his life as Clark Kent whatsoever. He was Superman before before he was Clark Kent. But the, the origin story is the Smallville stuff. And now, like, the kind of Mark Wade's birthright stuff where he's learning how to use his powers, how to use them for good, how to stay under the radar. And the Metropolis stuff is kind of... That's regular Superman. That's This is just Superman. That's never been origin to me. Besides his mass destruction of Metropolis... I didn't feel like Superman really spent any time in Metropolis. Yeah, but now you don't. You, you're not. I don't think you're going to get to explore all that because there's not going to be any time. You have a whole movie to make Man of Steel two, explore that, get into his relationship with Lex, get into his relationship with Lois. But now Batman's coming in, and now Wonder Woman's coming in. Like, where's Superman? Is getting fucked in the ass. In this fucking sequel. Yeah, Lex is, is another person Again. that's really getting the short end of the stick. Remember, just a couple of months ago, we were speculating on who would possibly could play Lex Luthor. Now I feel like, who gives a shit? It doesn't There's no matter. room for him. There's no room for him. Ba- we got Batman and Wonder Woman. Lex you may as- Lex Luthor. Luther, Lex Luthor. You may as well... Oh, I'm editing that out. You may as well pull the big twist on us that... Perry White's been Lex Luthor the whole time. Oh, just so we don't I have to cast that. someone else and work in another actor. Boy, that would be beautiful. Lawrence Fishburne could just shave his head up, Morpheus style, and we can just go from there. Black Lex Luthor. I like it. Wouldn't you'd be into it? Yeah, yeah. I'd be all right with that. I like, I like Larry Fishburne. But you know yeah, what? That, guy, the... that guy played the shit out of Cowboy Curtis. He really did. Sold it. Black Cowboy. Heart, Only believable Black Cowboy in cinema. Heart and soul of Pee-wee's Playhouse. But, yeah, it, it doesn't... There's no room in that movie for anything else except for the three heavy hitters of the DC Universe. I, I don't know what they're doing. Before they announced Wonder Woman, it seemed like it was going to be a very interesting way of bringing Batman into it by acknowledging kind of some of the criticisms from the fans, the the mass destruction of the first movie. And all of a sudden, Batman's ears go up when that shit happens, and all of a sudden he's very interested in Superman now. And he basically comes to God, or to Metropolis to figure out, what is this dude all about? Kind of his impression of him in the new Justice League in the new 52, which I really loved um, before it kind of got lame. But... Batman's obsessive nature of someone needs to be able to stop this guy. Right. Before they announced Batman was going to be in it, it would have been cool if that was basically Lex Luthor's motivation. Which I think is the real logical progression of Man of Steel into a Man of Steel movie. Right. And and it would have been his motivation, but he would also use it as an opportunity for himself to get public um, opinion behind him and prop him up and support him and make him I don't know maybe his his intentions were pure I don't know but maybe his his methods were not as fans are we happy about this are we happy about all these additions to the Man of Steel 2 <clears throat> film and turning it into basically Trinity um, I'm not like I was I was really happy with what it looked like Man of Steel 2 was going to be that it was going to we were we were going to see 
the Clark and Lex matchup. We were going to get into some of that stuff. Uh, Man of Steel 1 did a great job with essentially one villain. There were multiple Kryptonians, but all they really had to deal with was Michael Shannon as General Zod, and it left a lot of room to do some other stuff and get into each character. Then they announced Ben Affleck is coming in as Batman, and now it gets a little bit more convoluted, but it's still it's still okay. You know, we're we'll find a way to work around Lex and Bruce and all that stuff. But now throwing Wonder Woman in the mix, this is this is like what the fuck are they doing? I think most people were pretty excited when they said Batman was going to be in it, and it was going to be a Superman and Batman movie or versus or whatever. Because everybody wants to see that, I think. I, even though we're not far removed from the Christopher Nolan Batman, I still feel like everybody just can't wait to see what the next take on Batman is going to be. Me included. I was really excited. With Wonder Woman, I am, like, significantly less excited. I went from, like, a, a 9 on excitement down to about a 6. I yeah. feel like... It drops. My... As when I saw that, I felt like here we go again. DC is going off the rails. Yeah. They don't necessarily know what to do with a good thing that they have. I'm more excited for the Amazing Spider-Man two. Although there is more of a curiosity that there for me to see the the new Superman, but that might be um, satiated by. Uh, Maybe a trailer or even some stills. I just kind of want to see what's Batman going to look like. What's for, yeah, I want to see stills. And to add insult to injury during this conversation, when you when you Google image Gina Carano 2013, one of the first images that comes up is her, Amy Adams, and Henry Cavill at the Critics' Choice Awards. That year. is hilarious. That could have been the premiere of Super, yeah. Superman Trinity. Yeah. And, and I, I've... I'm not even a huge supporter of Gina Carano maybe, as, as Wonder Woman. Maybe that is where it came in, where they would have thought it was helping out Henry Cavill's love interest by giving her the role as Wonder Woman. Maybe. Yeah, um, so, besides Gal Gadot, do, did either of you have a, a particular person in mind that you wanted to be Wonder Woman? No. I yeah. I I was pretty clear. Gina Carano. Yes. <laughs> yeah. If if I would I I don't think I'd have had any any problem with that. Uh, I also wouldn't have had any problem with Jamie Alexander, who plays Sif in the Thor movies. That was another name that was brought up that I think is wor- and a worthy. And she's small. She's a smaller girl. She's not ripped, but she plays Sif so well in all those action scenes in the, in the two Thor movies. That I don't think I would have batted an eye to see her be Wonder Woman she doing the same stuff. Kind of a there's something that makes her feel like there's more mass to her. In she's gruff. Movies. She seems gruff. I don't know. She she visually, I feel like she's got kind of like a bigger frame or something. I don't know if that's the way it's shot or what, but it appears that way to me. It's a strong jaw. So, all right, that that's. Gal Gadot and Wonder Woman and maybe some some questionable casting. On to the the new DC show. Is it called Gotham? Is it, what is it called? It's called Gotham. Uh, everyone's saying it's not tied to uh, Ed Brubaker and Greg Rucka's Gotham Central series. 
but that's essentially what it is. I mean, it's rookie detective Jim Gordon in Gotham. And, Jim you know, Gordon wasn't a rookie in that series. Well, all right, this takes it back. It's it's essentially a show about Gotham's police department. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it'll be procedural, set in Gotham, overarching, you know, kind of comic book story. It's, I mean, as a as a show, it works. You don't need GCPD Blue. Yeah, they had to yeah, find a way so that they can get a young, sexy Jim Gordon shirtless in every episode. So they went back to his rookie year. Who's going to play Jim Gordon? Well, this is going to be NBC. So I don't think it's going to have the blatant abness that the CW is willing to, to throw on their shows. CW's main weapon in its TV arsenal, abs. Not, nothing's, no one's been cast yet. Um, not much has been announced other than this is definitely go. They have a full season's order for it. Do we have writers on this thing? Nothing yet, other than it's going to be about the Gotham Police Department and, you know, during Bruce's formative years, they just announced that Bruce Wayne will be in it, but he'll be a kid. So I, I'm assuming this is happening during the year after Bruce's parents get murdered because that's supposed to be what Jim Gordon... That's the case Jim Gordon is working on. So... I assume they'll be dealing with Gotham craziness from week to week, but the overarching plot of the first season will probably be Gordon trying to find out who murdered Thomas and Martha Wayne. By setting it in that era, it really kind of takes away the characters that they could use. You can't use any of Batman's villains because they all... all... But you know they're going to. You think so? Do you think that they would? Absolutely. They're going to use those villains. They may not pull the Joker out. But you know you're going to see Scarecrow. What? Why do you know that? Harvey Dent, I'm sure, is... Well, maybe You'll see Harvey little, Dent. Little baby Harvey Dent? Is this... You'll see Harvey they're Dent. They're going to take... Is this Bat Babies they're that gonna, we're talking about? They're going to take a lot of liberties. Just like Arrow has taken a lot of liberties with characters. A lot. We're going to see... I yeah. love those liberties. Are they taking a lot of liberties? I don't remember Felicity Smoke or John Diggle in the comics. Felicity Smoke is a comic character. I don't remember Just, uh, Speedy no- being Ollie's sister. No. Or Roy knowing Ollie I don't think that that's, that's not a lot of liberties where you would be aging up characters that should be 10 years old and making them the, in their 20s or 30s. Their liberties, that's, their that's, liberties in, in different ways. But, but they you, make sense in Arrow, but they won't make sense in this. I... They, yeah, they make sense in Arrow. I'm not. You're the one saying they're not going to make sense in this. I'm saying that they're they're going to take different liberties. You can't have a show about Gotham City with Jim Gordon with the Waynes as the backdrop and not have some other classic Gotham characters. Granted, you can't use them. You're not supposed to use them because they're all kind of Bruce's age. You can't even think about Dick Grayson or Tim Drake. Because they haven't even been born at this time. You could use the Haley Circus. But you can use concepts like that and bring other shit in. Maybe we'll see some Talon type stuff. Some Court of Owls type stuff be introduced. That Court of Owls story is very fast becoming a classic. To the point where 
I'm thinking that we're going to see some some kind of translation to the big screen. Not literal, not... Like, that's not going to be the big overarching and all-encompassing story of a Batman movie, but they will take elements from it. Um, just like, you know, Christopher Nolan borrowed heavily from many different Batman stories. I, I can see them kind of taking things from that in, in a Batman movie adaptation. Yeah, it's it. I don't know. It's going to be difficult for them to do this. Maybe show, we'll see I think. Mr. Freeze, since in you know in general mythology he's already older. That's that's but one if, that you could do. You Ian, could do. Ian, if you don't, if you could do, if Scarecrow. you don't think it's possible for them to break to take these liberties with all these characters, what do you think they're going to do? I have no idea. I have no idea what they're going to do. It's going to be very difficult. For them to do this show. If they can What if, did... Do any of us know what they did in Gotham Central? Did any of us... I never read it. Gotham Central takes place in during the Gotham. time that Batman's around so you can use those characters. Yeah, Gotham's not in it. but Or Batman's not in it, but he makes cameos. It feels like they're going to have to make up quite a few characters for this show to function. Yeah. They're going to do... You know, the crime families of that era, I'm sure. Sure, we'll see the right, Falcones. Like Penguin makes sense. I guess Penguin. Yeah, you could do Penguin. Yeah, I, I, I think by setting it so early that they're really kind of handcuffing themselves. Because all the good stuff from the Batman mythology is, part of, the re- Batman? is part of the reason why... Um, but, but where the Batman didn't work. Because they weren't using the good stuff. And Gotham's not going to be able to use the good stuff either. Yeah. Well, I mean, think about it. It's a Batman show without Batman. Kind of dumb. Yeah. Well, did... I'm sh- I know you guys listened to Fat Man on Batman, where he was talking to Paul Dini. I think it was Paul Dini. Was it Paul Dini? They were talking about yeah. that Batman and prep school. Yeah. And that would take liberties as well with yeah. the characters. But I think it would make a little bit more sense, or you could do more at that that age. You could do some of the Court of Owls stuff. Because even you can if introduce... Because even if it's just Bruce Wayne, Batman's still your main character. Yeah. How interesting is Bruce... is Jim Gordon by himself? Without the aid of any of the famous villains... Exactly. ...that Jim Gordon and Batman have to do battle with. Right. It's it's going to be difficult. I, I don't know. I'll watch it, but it's, it's going to be... They, they did kind of paint themselves into a corner with, you know, announcing that, that time frame. Oh, I, guess, I guess it's going to be on Fox. Okay. And it's going to be produced and written by Bruno Heller, who created The Mentalist. I always said that guy would make a great, not really <laughs> Batman TV show. When do we have, do we have, uh... A the debut se- time. The series scheduled is next year? It's scheduled to premiere in the fourteen fifteen television season. So next fall, uh, we should be getting Gotham, the underwhelming show about Batman maybe without it, Batman. Maybe it can outdo a TV show without superheroes in the way that Marvel Shield has mm. brought. Not really superheroes. Yeah, aren't they learning? Aren't they learning anything from Shield? Maybe they're just, uh, you know, they're just hoping that the Batman brand itself 
We'll bring people in. I don't know. I, I, I think this is a... You know, when, when Arrow was announced, I was like, alright. They're going to be doing Arrow. You know, it's a character that has a lot of different avenues they can use. B-list, maybe C-list characters, so he's really malleable. You don't have to hold to a certain mythology or a certain format. You can but, take a lot of liberties. But they're using the character at an appropriate age so that he can it's fight. The, yeah, it's the character. So he can fight all the villains that you are familiar with him fighting. You can even tell a wonderful backstory where we keep him on, on an island forever and ever. That's right. Any so, other? expectation, excitement for the Gotham TV series? Polynomics, everybody? You want to go first Matt? on this one, Matt? Expectations? Four. Excitement, one. Expectation, we'll go in even five. Excitement, one. Yeah, I'm going to go expectation, four. Excitement, two. That's fair. It, I, mean, they're bad. They're I don't fall, know what the fuck they're going to do. numbers for this one. I don't know what they're going to do. That's, and maybe that's why we're not showrunners. We're not writers on television shows because we don't have that broad range of creativity to make a boring ass show about because, Jim Gordon. Because some dynamic actor who would redefine a character for centuries would walk into the audition. A character like say Hugh Jackman and Matt would go too tall out that's why we're not showrunners correct I love Hugh Jackman I do I think I bet he would be so fucking cool to hang out with I do too I also think he, he may be a little too old but maybe he'd be good as uh, Jimmy Stewart's character and It's a Wonderful Life oh that's a good call he can sing and dance and yeah. Well, he was fantastic stuff. in the movie Prisoners, which comes out tomorrow. And, well, I think it's like digital early release. You know, they do that shit on like iTunes. And to me, that was the best movie I saw last year. So I can't fucking wait. <clears throat> Prisoners, folks, see it. It is awesome. Yeah, I'm a little excited to see that movie as well. Um, you've been hyping it up. And... You're gonna see it, and you're gonna go. Eh, it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, you will. I'm sorry. I liked it. It's okay. Our last bit of comic book inspired media news. Brian Singer announces X-Men Days of Future Past sequel is X-Men Apocalypse. Ian. Are you a resident resident X-Men guy? That's yeah. not me. Yeah, I'll be our resident X-Men guy. I'm sure that Apocalypse is going to feature a story, a mid-90s story called Age of Apocalypse, alternate future. I believe it takes place, because I've never read this book. I believe it has something to do with Professor X dying and the way that his dream was carried out by the X-Men. You get a lot of uh, alternate reality X-Men, Wolverine with a hand cut off, a lot of different Drastically different roles that these characters place. Heroes are villains. Villains are heroes. Is, that whole thing. Sounds like Marvel Comics. Yeah. So, Apocalypse is a mutant from the way future, right? Is Apocalypse 
a, a villain from the cable future? He's actually a villain from the way past. He was... He... His he roots are in, line. like, ancient Egypt. He was, like, a pharaoh of some kind. I believe that they... He doesn't look like a pharaoh. Well, he... I mean, you've got to change your clothes now and then, right? <laughs> he's gray. Purple. Well, he's a mutant, Blue. too, and it is comic books, gentlemen. Yeah, Suspend disbelief. This isn't Gotham, the how, TV show. How is time travel attained in the X-Men? Is it through mutant power, or is it some kind of technology? There's, uh, it's generally mutant powers. So many people in the X-Men universe can time travel. Yeah. I just got done reading um, Battle, Battle of the Atom. Which is another time travel. Oh, you read that whole thing? I read the whole thing in a two-hour chunk. I enjoyed it, but is this segueing us right now? Well, but that's another that's another conversation for a later later save time. For, save for the podcast part where we talk about what you've been reading. It's it's part of the X Men universe. You asked about time travel. Right, right. I believe that the way that Cable and Strife. Time travel. Bishop, it's, uh, Bishop is a time traveler. Bishop correct? is also a tri- time travel traveler in this newest version of the movie. Uh, the way that they do it is, you know, machine or some kind of like a uh, DeLorean. Not a DeLorean. I think it's probably like like a pager. Like you just snap it onto your speaking, like a like a cosmic treadmill. Speaking of DeLoreans, I saw on the internet over the weekend. They have made a Lego version of the DeLorean. That's pretty cool. And I was like... that the life really... size? Yes. No. I was it, never a huge Lego guy. Did you guys like Legos all that much? Yeah, I was pretty into Legos. Yeah. yeah I thought it was always fun to create your own things, not really kind of... But they were so flimsy all the time. Not if you built them right. Maybe I was a you shitty architect. You I created Legos like models. I built what was in the box, and then it just sat there, because you couldn't really play with it. No, I created, like... I was always making houses and, like, different layouts for my house. Maybe I yeah. was... Yeah? Yeah. Maybe you missed your calling. Yeah, it could have been an architect. Yeah. I mean, there might have been some some vehicles, but they were... It was always just a prop for yeah. Transformers, G.I. Joe, <laughs> Silverhawks, you know, those... Real toys. Yes. Real, real man's toys. So, dystopian future to the nth degree is what apocalypse, the age of apocalypse is. I never see those dystopian futures. That's what they're so gonna... Isn't that's like, what they're gonna do. The announcement really wasn't all that uh, robust. It was just a tweet. They made a video game, like an X-Men video game that featured Apocalypse not that long ago. I didn't play it, but I thought, man, I should play that because that would be a really good introduction to Apocalypse because I have, like, no real knowledge. The only thing about Apocalypse I know is that I had the Toy Biz action figure from, like, 91. Like, right kind of on the cusp of getting out of playing with toys, you know, like when it started to not get fun and you started to feel embarrassed doing it. Like when right did that now. happen? Maybe when I was about 11. Man, I think I kept it going until I was like 13 or something like that. Maybe. Well, when did the animated series come out? 92? Yeah. I know that yeah. I had a lot of animated series... Those figures. Are, one of the last one I had the the animated. It was like Arctic Blast. 
Batman was one of the last ones that was yeah. able to... Wait, wasn't it Desert her. fucking Batman? <laughs> I had that one later on in life. Now, I think those Batman figures were the final toys that I bought to play with. What bummed me out was it was just they were just giving us all the really good toys at that point because Toy Biz came out with all the X-Men figures. That's right, yeah. And I was just... You, know, you were transitioning out. wasn't fun anymore. But you were finally getting all the guys that you had, like, had to pretend the whole time with exactly. the generic characters that you had. Exactly. So, I always thought Apocalypse was really cool looking, but his history and past seemed so incredibly convoluted that oh. he doesn't seem like, he doesn't seem like someone that you'd easily be able to easily adapt into an just, X-Men movie. Were you just reading his... Wiki page as Paul and I were. No, I was looking up Silverhawks T-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we call show prep. Yeah, I, I know enough about Apocalypse to know that I don't understand anything about Apocalypse. Well, Paul, I know for a fact that uh, even though it sounds like you don't read any comics when you talk about. <clears throat> Not knowing anything about Apocalypse. I know that's not true. I know you read a lot of comic books. And I know that you've been reading a lot of comic books. What a segue. I would like for you to talk about those comic books. You want me to talk about what I've been reading? Thank you. Now I don't have to go find that little (laughs) jingle. The heroic return of what you've been reading. I wonder how many episodes it's been since we've done this. Well, I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start negative. Um, I'm dropping two books this week. This week was the last. The last time I will buy these books until there is a serious creative team shift, and uh, it, it it brings me back in. Uh, the first book I'll be dropping is Brian Michael Bendis's Guardians of the Galaxy. Which is... A dirty a, Marvel book. Which is a shadow of the glory that Dan Abnett and Andy Landing, Andy Landing bestowed on that book when they wrote it. Uh, I really want to like this book. I really want to like these characters. I like... And I, I want to like it because I liked the, the Abnett Landing stuff. It had... Had a really... Really old school Star Wars feel about... About Abnett and Lanning's run. It felt like the used universe. It felt like shit's been there forever. It had, you know, a sense of, you know, you you felt like you've been to these places before. And you knew these characters. And it was, it was like going home, in a sense. But, you know, Bendis is just trying to put the brightest shine and gloss on this stuff. That it's... Uh, it's... Just incredibly disappointing. All the characters. The biggest problem is that he kept the same characters, but he doesn't write them like they're different people. Everyone, I guess, in you know classic Bendis branding, you know everyone has a quick zinger ready, ready in the queue, ready to to you know let let zing. Now I know you, and I've known you for a number of years. When have you ever hated zingers? I hate zingers when. Everyone speaks in the same voice. When Gamora gives you the same one-liner as Rocket Raccoon does, the same as Peter Quill does. Yes, Matt, you Matt. have a question. Yeah, you like Kevin Smith, though, don't you? 
I do like Kevin Smith. Kevin Smith's pretty guilty of that. That's true. Kevin Smith is pretty guilty of that, but that's... I feel like that's indicative of Kevin Smith's universe. Like, that's how his... That's how his worlds and characters are written. Guardians is different. It's not... It's not in that one universe by one guy. Well, it is the Marvel universe. And, you know, Bendis writes the whole thing. But Bendis didn't write the old stuff. You know, maybe if someone else wrote a Clerks movie, and then Kevin Smith did, you know, I was, Clerk... I was referring to the comic books that he writes, actually. See, I, I don't think everyone does, everyone is in the same voice in a Kevin Smith comic. Certainly his movies are more guilty of that, but... I do think that most of the Kevin Smith characters are a little too clever for their own good. I think that's a very good example. I don't think that you're wrong, but I don't think this is a Bendis thing. I've seen him write excellent books before where each character is handcrafted to be their own person. But Guardians, he's just throwing whatever the fuck he wants into the book. Um, The last two issues have had... A fucking who's the boss reference. Really? Wow. Yeah, because they introduced Angela from the Sandman world. So now, like, every time her name comes up... Spawn? Or Spawn or... Yeah, wherever. Um, so every time her name gets brought up, Peter Quill makes some who's the boss reference because of Angela. That's pretty stupid. And, like, and outdated. Wow. It's super outdated. Like... It's almost too outdated for us. Yeah, yeah. That, that's like enough to drop the book right there. Yeah. That's fucking terrible. Uh, it's, but like the the worst offense of it is that everyone everyone speaks in the same voice. Everyone has the same one liners and the same the same attitudes. Um, you know, Rocket Raccoon and the Andy Landing, Dan Abnett stuff had a his comedy was it was natural. He was. The funny weirdo raccoon character, but it was like C three PO in the original trilogy. Take a shot, folks. <laughs> like it was like his his humor came out of just the natural situations of who he was and the situation he was in. But Bendis goes out of his way to make Rocket annoying and abrasive and aggravating, and it's to the point where fanboys have commented on that. So Bendis, you know goes meta and references that in the book. Like, I guess early on, like, Rocket's big catchphrase, you know, he, he goes, he kills a bunch of uh, Chitauri, and he's like, bang, I murdered you, bang, I murdered you. And it's just so, it's so aggravating. And I guess fanboys took took, took issue with this, and they were like, well, it's, 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 you know, silly. So then, a few issues later, you know, Rocket comes out, and he's like, yeah, it's my new, uh, my, new, my, my new catchphrase. No one likes it, but it's going to catch on. It's going to catch on. I'm like, come on, Bendis. You're fucking killing me. I was promised Bendis and Steve McNiven when this book started. Big Steve McNiven fan. And then McNiven gets brushed off, and then you get Sarah Pacelli. I'm like, all right. They're baiting, switching me, but at least they're keeping quality artists on this book. Very similar styles, too. Right. Now... Pacelli's gone, and you get Francesco Francavia. Ooh, who, that's world's different. Yeah, I mean, you go from, you know, polished superhero art, like McNiven and Pacelli, to stuff like Francavia, who's more along the lines of... Um, Abstract indie, almost. 
almost. Yeah, or like Alex Maleev or David Aja. And it's such a... And I love David Aja's stuff on, on, on Hawkeye. But for Hawkeye, it fits. And Francovia would do great on a Hawkeye book. But for Guardians, it's, it's so out of place. and it's, it's been an absolute disappointment. So that's one book that you are going to drop. Is there another book that you're planning on never getting again? Batman, Superman. What? Wait a second. Am I... Let's open up the I, old, uh, the old comic bag here. Now, Paul, am I wrong? But that is a DC comic book. Are you sure that you want to damage your company that you love so much? They deserve it. They deserve it for charging me three ninety nine for this trash. Trash. I'm drawing the line at three ninety nine now, folks. I, I seriously considered lighting this on fire. <laughs> I'm so appalled by this book. I was appalled by the last issue. I thought, may you know, Greg Pop. Your strong opinions are going to make my review of my stuff when I'm like, eh, it's all right. Looks like shit. <laughs> You know, Greg Pop comes with a certain pedigree. He's done some some acclaimed stuff at, at, at Marvel over the last so many years. A lot the of stuff. World War or yeah. um, World, World War Hulk, Hulk. Planet, Planet Hulk. Hulk. Yeah, he's done some acclaimed stuff at Marvel. So then his exclusives up. He's coming over to DC. I'm like, all right, they're putting on putting him on Batman, Superman. He's going to be with Jay Lee. Jay Lee, great Dark Tower stuff. You know, this is going to be a cool book. And the first arc was super underwhelming because JLE's built for Dark Tower, not superheroes. But I figured, all right, it was it was fine. I'll stick around. But now, now the story isn't even good. So, in these two issues, and I, I'm not going to know how this wraps up because I'm not fucking getting it. Mongol comes to earth i wish i could play a tape of paul whenever he's like i finish what i start (laughs) (laughs) so yeah so you know it's got to be a bad book for me to just fucking quit mongol comes to earth mongol big dc space villain goes toe-to-toe with the green lanterns he's responsible for the destruction of coast city in the old DC universe. Mongol's a big bad guy. You know, he comes with some history. Now, but now, Mongol comes, he's still big, still threatening, but he comes to Earth, and his his plan, I guess, is he's going to use the DC universe version of the Xbox. He creates some way so that gamers in the world can log in and play a Batman vs. Superman game where they're actually controlling the real Batman and Superman to kill each other. This sounds like a bad 80s cartoon plot. It's so fucking bad. It's super bad. It, who's oh the, my god, who's the editor so bad. On that book? Tell me who the editor is because they need to be fired um, as well. Let's take a look. Uh... Oh, uh, Eddie Berganza. Eddie Berganza. 
You're fired. You're fired. Is the, uh, the group editor, Ricky Purden, the associate editor. Were these people, like, out to lunch that day that Greg Pack came up with this story? Maybe it was, like, right before Thanksgiving and they left early, you know, spend time with the family. Yeah, I don't know. So, Greg Pack's like, you know what? They're not here to approve this shit. I'm just rolling with it. And that's what he did. And now they're like, what the fuck did you do? I'd like to think... That's what's happening. But like, they're probably go, like, oh, man, this is, this is really cool. So the artist on it is Brett Booth. And I, I hammered Brett Booth last month when this, this issue came out. And I realize now that I was a little harsh. Since the <clears> new 52 <throat> kicked off, um, Brett Booth has done nothing that I've wanted to be a part of. He, he kicked off Teen Titans with Scott Lobdell. But I realize now it's not Brett Booth's art that I don't like. It's the writers that he gets paired with. Right, fucking dog shit. Scott Lobdell's Teen Titans stories were such total crap. I wouldn't want to flush them down my toilet because I wouldn't want to tarnish my golden toilet. Woo! And this Greg Pak story is just as fucking bad. But what does Brett Booth like to shove a lot of shit on him? Yeah, I, I will hammer Booth a little bit because these last two Batman Superman issues have been fucking horizontal format. And yeah, it's it's neat. It's different to try to do it. I don't think it's. Can I let me interject for a second? It, no. it, do you remember in the early '90s when oh, McFarlane did it in Spider-Man number sixteen, and then they did a two-parter that took place in X Force that Rob Liefeld did. I remember it fondly. I thought that was so exciting. He, McFarlane did that, and the editors told him, do not do a horizontal book, and he fucking went ahead and he did a horizontal book. And I believe that was his final Spider-Man issue. I'm not saying that it can't be done well, but, I mean, like, there's something about it. I I look at the horizontal format, and it's not, it, it doesn't feel like a comic book to me. The whole time, I'm flipping the page up instead of to the left. It, it pulls me right out of, of, of what I'm reading. It's That's a fucking gimmick. And even the, the cover of this one is vertical, but the cover of the last issue was even horizontal. So I, I don't know what fucking game they're playing, but what a piece Clearly of Clearly Batman Superman what a, on Xbox. Oh, don't even joke. Don't even joke. So what I've been reading has been, has been pretty aggravating, uh, from mostly from, from top to bottom. So, we're going to move on to uh, a, a slightly more boring review. Ian, what, are you, what, what have you been reading? I can't top bold pronouncements like, I wouldn't flush this down my toilet. I think so it would that, clog your toilet. Yeah, I, I, I cannot follow that. So, I'll just briefly tell the poor listeners what I've been reading and, and get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> I read um, I read a lot of things this weekend, but the one that I'm going to focus on is the strange talent of Luther Strode. Matt, I uh, I downloaded. Did you the, get it when it was on sale on Comicsology last week? I did the Black Friday sale. I did. Trad Moore, Trad Moore, and Justin Jordan. Oh, Justin Jordan, current I, writer of. Uh, Green Lantern, New Guardians. Yeah, that. But what I will say is that I really, I really enjoyed the art of the strange talent of Luther Strode. Mm-hmm. It's 
about a teenager who gains super strength after reading a you know a workout book that he received in the mail. Um, He's able to... Uh, if only it was that easy. Yeah, seriously. He's able to... Uh, at the, as he bulks up, he has a friend along with him who is kind of prodding him along to become a, a superhero. There's a girl involved that is a love interest that as he's getting a little more handsome, a little more sexy... Kind of your stereotypical origin that kind of goes astray a bit. The uh, villain of the story, it's the, the librarian, is that correct? That was his name. The librarian. And organizing books was his game. It seemed like oh, he did a little, more de- a little more than that. What else did he do? He did a lot of violent dismemberment. Is, the book is, is quite graphic, but yet in a cartoony way. Tradmore's art, I think, is... is really the star of this book as matt said it's very graphic there's a lot of muscles and teeth and ripping of fingers and <laughs> muscles and teeth exploding heads and it's it is one of the more graphic just this part right the the first part where uh. he's shoving hands through people's faces and kicking the their chests and guts completely out of them very graphic kind of stuff. Uh, but Tradmore, is, he's an excellent artist. The, the, the thing that I'll have to say about the story itself, it seemed a little... It was very straightforward, I thought. It was pretty straightforward. Dude gets a book, kind of bulks up, and mom and girlfriend at different points get kidnapped, um, fights a villain. There's a little bit of where, where the villain goes into where these powers come from, but it was a little vague for me, I thought. And maybe, Matt, since you've read this, you could elaborate. Um, but I thought it was it was, it was was nice for the first volume of a story that I think goes on to at least three more volumes, but it seemed <coughs> a little... It, the story itself was a little vanilla for me, even with all the graphic dismemberment and all the violent shit that took place, which I really liked. But, yeah, um, I'd recommend it. I think it was it was a good read. I enjoyed it. But sort of the way that I felt about Invincible, it felt like it was your sta- it was a standard superhero story. There wasn't much to it. It was it was fairly black and white. This kid's a hero. He's not a he's not somebody that you dislike. None of the none of the heroes the family. Uh, you know, his mom and his friend and his girlfriend, they're all extremely likable characters. There's nothing really to them other than the fact that they're they're in this story and they're in his life. Uh, his dad's a little despicable, but they don't really do too much with him. Pretty straightforward, kind well, of... they do super- something with him in the next volume. Uh, pretty straightforward superhero origin story sprinkled in with grisly, gruesome violence. Uh, actually... I think that the main character is not as um, vanilla as you're making him out to be. I think that he has those, like, visions of rage that he's almost seeing himself doing horrible things, whereas these powers are somewhat taking over. 
and I think he's trying to control them and stay like on the good side and not let them have him do these horrific acts which he envisions himself doing a few times. Now do they get a little more in depth with you know really where the powers come from? Uh, yeah, they do. Okay. Uh, in the next volume they they explore that a little bit. Um, also, I think comparing it to Invincible was a really good description because Invincible uses a lot of tropes that we've come to know in other, you know, classic superhero stories like Superman and Spider-Man. And um, I think this borrows a little bit from, you know, classic superhero tales, but it kind of takes those classics and, and tweaks them in a, in a bit of a more unpredictable way, just the way Invincible does. Um, so I think that's a really fair comparison. I tend to like those kind of tweaks to the, you know, classic stories that um, keeps everything kind of fresh. And um, I feel like that main character especially is kind of gray. And then the the fate of a lot of his family and friends is something that you don't often see in these kind of classic superhero tales where let's just put it this way nobody is safe I think that's fair to say <clears throat> I'm glad you read it though yeah it was I, I enjoyed it I think it's cool you gave it a shot yeah um I'm always one to try to broaden my horizons. So, Matt, what have you been reading? I've been reading a shit ton. Last night, I decided to um, refresh my memory because I really wanted to talk about it tonight. Uh, I read Shazam. um, It was a backup in Justice League starting with, like, number seven. And... What was it like an eight issue or an eight um, page backup every every issue for about yeah, a year? Something like that. My only reason for buying Justice League for an entire year. I'll tell you what, <laughs> this Shazam story is without a doubt the best thing that has ever happened in the pages of that comic book. Um. Uh, before I even get into it, I will just come out and say that this is probably the best comic book I have read in years. Woo! <laughs> I cannot think of anything that even challenges it. I like, for the listener, I like that we went from the depths of the toilet to, hey, you know, uh, to, <laughs> this is the greatest thing that my eyes have ever seen! I, I, totally not planned. Would you say this is, this is great, like, Thor the Dark World? No, this is legitimately oh, great. great. <laughs> or would you say this is great like The Iron Giant, which was the greatest feat of anim- animation history? Yeah. So this is more like Iron we- Giant than Thor 2? I was thinking about that statement that I said last week, and I fucking stand by that. I really do. I mean, I, well, I thought about it a little bit, and I was like, we left out stop-motion animation, and therefore, no Nightmare Before Christmas. Because if we're going to... Talk about stop motion. Nightmare Before Christmas gets top billing, in my opinion. But the California Ray sounds Christmas is really good. Too. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> but okay, so the Shazam story, as probably a lot of people know, Shazam is kind of 
Um, As no one that listens to this podcast knows. Shazam is a is a Superman like character from DC Comics, and he instead of having alien origins and and abilities, Shazam's powers are all magic based. He was given his powers from a wizard. And, What's the wizard's name? Um, Kaplow. What is the wizard's name? Shazam. Is it Shazam in the new retelling? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, the wizard uh, gives him his powers, and um, he ends up giving them to, uh, like, a pure good person, and that's Billy Batson, the main character, who, in this new 52 version of Shazam, kind of a retelling. Pure and good of heart. Because pure and good of heart. he's kind of a dick. He is kind of a dick, but his his... His intentions are pure and good. It's his motives that are questionable. And uh, being that he's just 15 years old, I think they can tell that he's going to grow into um, into a hero. So um, he gets these powers that will transform him into an adult that has incredible superpowers that basically rival those of um, Superman. He has an electrical kind of uh, ability as well where I don't really know what he does with his electricity like he can kind of shoot it out but he can also transfer his powers to others but it it's kind of like a, a reservoir of magic ability and it, it depletes the more and more that he shares his powers yeah the only <clears throat> the only real ways he's similar to Superman is that he has super strength and he can fly mm-hmm does he have a split curl on this one? I thought that was the other. Um, you can remove yourself from the rest of this episode. He has uh, he, he, I, he has an updated look. In the past, he had a bit more of like a baggy costume. Now it's more skin tight, kind of like Superman's. He's got <clears throat> I can't a little remember, metallic looking too. A little bit, yeah, a little bit more armor based. Although that's the new Fifty Two way. No collar. No collar. He does have a hood. Did, did the old Shazam have a hood? No, he had like a really it, long collar that was just kind of a flap on his cape. And did yeah. he have like a baby cape too? Or now yeah, he has he had like, like full... the the waist. His cape. his new costume looks great. I think. I think it's a fantastic character design. And I look at it, and he's got that lightning bolt symbol on his chest. And how cool would that look on the big screen? Like actually, like kind of. Maybe they'll be able to fit him into Superman, Batman, <laughs> Wonder Woman. And so this story is very much an origin story. It's written by Jeff Johns. Um, best thing I've ever read by him. And it, it's very much in line with Batman Earth One or Green Lantern Rebirth. It's, it's a perfect spot to start reading this character because I don't have a huge breadth of knowledge it's a standalone about story. Shazam. Well, I mean, it, it, it doesn't is, really have anything to do with the rest of the DC universe. No, not yet. Not yet. Um, it, there, it does have a bit of a cliffhanger of an ending, um, but it introduces a fantastic villain that may or may not have completely bitten it in this story. Um, it, it's got. Uh, amazing artwork by Gary Frank. The artwork is about as top-notch as it gets. I mean... Gary Frank, superstar artist. Yay, yes. nay. Yes. 
After reading this, yeah. I mean... Yeah. I was going to say, come on, Matt. You drew the favorite, your favorite piece of literature of all time. Of all time. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll take a look at uh, anything Gary Frank does. It, I mean, the, the story, the, the characters were so strong. I love the interaction between all the foster kids. Um, I just, I want to read more. Did they need them. to be so multi-ethnic is my question, though. Right? Am I right? That's correct, Ian. What horseshit that they shoehorn all these different ethnicities into that book. And you know that's the only reason they did it. It was to be multicultural. Yeah, because not, not to be DC real not to be real so white. Not to be real to life for anything like that. Why what was wrong with that? Paul hates black people and girls. I don't hate girls. <laughs> just black girls. <laughs> just black girls. <laughs> no, the all, the all the foster kids are different races. You know, you have an Indian kid, a black girl, the Chinese kid, was he a Indian? couple white kids. Isn't one? one of them Indian? Yeah, I don't know. I thought he was just white. Some non-white. How dare it, but it, like, it crippled. It was, they got all kinds of kids. Uh, maybe, maybe it's just because of the current political climate that we're in these days that it feels like that's that kind of thing's being pushed. And that's why it feels Diversity like diversity and kids, acceptance. I mean, it's not like you. It, it's not like if it, if they were all black kids, and then they bring in Billy Batson, and he's the only white kid. I would have had less of a problem with that than like the fucking United Nations of Shazam over there. It's like the it's like the foster parents went out and they were like, "Well, we don't have a Chinese kid yet. We need an Asian." Maybe that's what they did. Maybe they, they said. You know and what? It's gonna help name, out. And their last name is Martinez. It was Vasquez. It was Vasquez. <laughs> Diversity, acceptance. These are things that we should hold up high in the DC universe. Not sit here and it, begrudge. It was them. definitely a, a diverse collection of of characters and races. I mean, even the, the couple, the parents were. Diverse. I think the husband was probably some kind of whatever he was, and then Mexican. Is that Mexican Vasquez? I don't know. But then it looked Something like it looked like the the mom was white. Um, I I didn't even consider that when I read it, but maybe that's saying something. I don't know. I think it is. But, but anyway, to our listeners, I recommend you. Go buy this collection. It's a hard. It's a hardbound. We text them uh, or we podcasting, little buddy. It's a hardcover trade buddy paperback. Dominic. Hi, Dom. Hi, Dom. It's a hardcover trade paperback, and it. So it's a hardback. It's a hardback. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> and um, it's it's twenty five dollars. I know it's a little steep, but uh, it is so worth it. You could probably get on on Amazon for like. 15 bucks, I bet. Um, or visit our friends at Comixology and get it for, what is it, $16.99 on Comixology. But, oh my God, is it good. The setting is fantastic. It's a perfect setting because it takes place at Christmas time. Just it's like now. perfect time. Just like now. Go get it now. Do not hesitate. It's, a, I, it's a period piece. It is a period piece. Can I talk about some of the other stuff I read real quick? Do we have enough time for you to talk about sure something do. else you've read, you've read real quick? Yeah. Because I think we're probably pushing up against the marker. Well, that's because you spouted off all your hate toward the stuff you read. But I, I just did that pretty quick. Well, okay, I'll be real quick. 
I read Alex and Ada from Image Comics. It's really good. I read uh, Archie Afterlife with, um, well, it's got the Archie gang and like they're all turning into zombies. Which and is shit. getting a lot of positive response from Should fans. I see it? It's uh, it's a very dark take on the the Archie character, something I've never seen before, and uh, I recommend that as well. That has been fantastic. I have read, oh, drawn by Francesco Francavia. It all comes it all back. Comes together. back, but this is the kind of thing he should be doing. This art. It looks great. It looks. He should be. It really does look great. Archie in the afterlife. He should not be drawing Guardians of the Galaxy. I just want to say, Alex and Ada. Um, it's. It has really cool artwork as well. Who actually draws this? Um, Jonathan Luna. Uh, it's got very simple line illustrations, um, and it's kind of a futuristic tale about a bachelor who is just kind of getting by on day-to-day life and you're seeing all of how technology affects his world and basically he's linked up to some kind of technology that basically reads his thoughts like his whole home is connected to it so he like just thinks like oh tv turn on i want to watch the weather channel and that kind of shit but i guess in this world you can get like super realistic lifelike robots to be like your girlfriend or your boyfriend so his his wealthy grandmother sends him at the, at the end of the issue a kind of a hot robot chick so i don't know what's gonna happen next so i stay, think i know stay tuned um a couple other things rocket girl it's a new image comic it's it's um by the great amy reader is doing the illustrations in it and then her friend uh what's his name um, Brandon Montclair can't write to save his life. Um, it is oh, it is no. a story that I don't have a fucking clue what's going on, but I couldn't be happier with the artwork, so I'm kind of torn whether or not to keep buying it. It's a futuristic tale, again, uh, about a like 15-year-old kind of superhero chick from the future who's sent back to like 1986 to kind of save the world or something. I don't know. Um, it looks real pretty, though. And then last but not least, I have read the first two issues of Damien, Son of Batman. Mm. Has anybody read this yet? Nope. Damien, Son of Batman is about... It is a... Ian is holding up the, uh, the pages mm, of, gritty. The, 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 of the I, issue. That's the one thing that I noticed, was that the quality of the interior pages is different than... Uh, different, I mean, shittier. It's it's, it's a different. Not glossy. Yeah, it's yeah. Matte finish. Yeah, I, I I'm not digging it, but that's just me. I kind of liked it actually. It, yeah. it, I don't like the format of the book because I think the cover's actually like too fancy. Like I like just a regular cover and pages. Yeah. Um, this kind of changes everything. The cover is a little overly stock like and very glossy, and the pages have that matte finish. But anyway. Damien, Son of Batman, is written and drawn by Andy Kubert, who uh, tends to be a little hit and miss, I think, with his artwork. I, for a while there, he was kind of like, can't miss, but he's starting to get a little sloppy, I think. But um, this is, I guess, kind of like a Elseworlds-style story that takes place maybe, I don't know, 
five years into the future. It's far enough where Damien eventually could be a convincing Batman. No, I thought he. No, no, I thought Damien in this. I thought he was already like twenty five in this book. Well, I don't know if he's twenty five, but he's he's older than the little boy that he is in the current or was in the current continuity. He's yeah. It's weird because in the first in the first issue, he's like doing detective work with um, with Batman, uh, at, like crime scene where there's all kinds of like dead bodies and laughing fish and everything. And I'm under the impression, and he's walking around as Robin, and I'm under the impression that he's still not. 20 years old. I think there's a massive jump from 1 to 2. Is it? Well, perhaps. The, perhaps. It's at the end of the second one. He's he's Batman in a trench coat. Yeah, yeah. Now... He's it, about 35 in the second issue. How old is he here? Can you, like... Let me see. Can I taste that? Taste like he's 15. Ew. I know, right? So, anyway, in the first issue, there's this big explosion and um, it was like a booby trap and Batman gets caught in it and he is killed and um, Damien is left to, to grieve and he goes to um, Rajah Ghul and, and his mother for guidance or help or whatever and they basically tell him to go piss off um, and at that point he um, he starts going after all these classic Batman villains and he goes and he starts killing them all. Like he kills Killer Croc, he kills Mr. Freeze. And his point is that Batman left all these guys hanging around and eventually they were the death of Batman where he's not going to follow in his father's footsteps and make the same mistakes. Right. So as as the first issue comes to a close, we find out that... um, Bruce Wayne is not dead because that was not Bruce Wayne as Batman. They made it you think that what it was, but it was actually Dick Grayson that had eventually become Batman. So Dick Grayson's dead. Dick Grayson is dead. And <clears throat> Bruce Wayne basically beats the shit out of Damien to get him to stop, but next thing you know, Damien doesn't even realize he did it, but he like drives a pull through Bruce Wayne's chest. And now Bruce Wayne is on his deathbed. And uh, I don't even know what Damien did at that point. What did he, he... He he goes and plays chess. This is where this book really goes off the rails. Because as you can see from here, he's really sad. He goes to a confession and, you know, says that he's sorry. And then he's in the Batcave looking at the Bat outfit. And he looks like he's a teenager here. But then as he, right. as he you know, suits up, you know, it's clear that Andy Kubert cannot draw Batman as any younger than 35. Because that's what's going on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the same character, but he's clearly older. How old is he before he puts that suit on? He's pretty young. He's pretty but young. you're talking pre-20 years old. Oh, right? yeah, definitely. I mean, right there, that's, that's, that's fairly young, I would say. 18? Sure. But when he has that suit on, yeah, he definitely appears bigger. 
And and yeah, it's just not a consistent look. Yeah, so that's a problem with the book. Even the art itself, from panel to panel, isn't very consistent. I opened the um, I opened to the one panel of it's pretty much a, a headshot of the priest, and you know the lights coming in, so he's got some shadows from the window frames across his face, and it looks really good. But then the couple like three quarter shots of Damien on the next page just look really hurried and rushed together and the angles on them are kind of weird. A lot of squishy face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you're uh, mushing a He-Man head. So, it's, um, it's an interesting enough story so far that I'll, I'll tough it out and read that there's only two more issues. It's a four-issue series. Even though they are four dollars a piece. Oh, must be those, those matte pages. That matte finish on those pages. It's, it's that cover. Did you pick this up? Did you feel that? Yeah, it's like hard, hard back. <laughs> Jesus. They ran out of gloss for the interior it's pages. So, yeah, right. They used it on the yeah. cover. <laughs> it's so thick and it's it's so glossy. It's so it's slippery. But uh, you know, it's, it's interesting enough. Piece. I didn't know what it was when I bought it. To be honest with you, what I really liked was was the way they did the logo on it. Is it is really neat. Yeah. I thought that was cool how they kind of used the negative space of the word Damien to work in the bat symbol. And uh, Andy Kubert, I was I was interested enough to pick it up, and I don't really know how I feel about it quite yet. We'll see after two more issues. But um, anyway, if you're going to read anything that I read, read fucking Shazam, because it is good. There you go. That's going to do it for tonight's episode. Let's not forget to visit McSauce.com. Donate something, anything, um, something in the dollar range. No change. Though, if you want to donate change, we're not going to tell you not to donate the change. You could donate $100 and change. We'll take that. It's going to be hard to do digitally. We have faith in you. $100 and change, anybody that can do it. We like it. Please donate to uh, Toys for Tots. Uh, you have until December 12th. The following night, we are going to go out and buy the toys. So um, please donate. Help us out. We'll appreciate it. And all the needy children will also appreciate it. My name is Paul McGinty. Ian Sharpley. Peace out. Have a good evening. Good night. See ya. Peace out, y'all.